The following podcast was recorded on January 6, 2024. Audio from external sources is used throughout this episode. Please note that the opinions, ideas and theories proposed by these sources may not necessarily reflect the views of the Sovereign Tech X hosts. Thanks for listening. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Technica podcast feed. The only thing you need to know to understand the deepest metaphysical secrets is this. That for every outside, there is an inside, and for every inside, there is an outside. And although they are different, they go together. There is, in other words, a secret conspiracy between all insides and all outsides. And the conspiracy is this, to look as different as possible and yet underneath to be identical. Because you don't find one without the other. Like Tweedledum and Tweedledee agreed to have a battle. Note that, agreed. So there is a secret. What is esoteric, what is profound and what is deep is what we will call the implicit. What is obvious and on the open is what we will call the explicit. And I and my environment, you and your environment are explicitly as different as different could be. But implicitly you go together. And this is discovered by the scientist when he tries as the whole art of science is to describe what happens exactly. And when he describes exactly what you do, he finds out that you, your behavior, is not something that can be separated from the behavior of the world around you. He realizes then that you are something that the whole world is doing. Just as when the sea has waves on it, all right, the sea, the ocean is waving. And so each one of us is a waving of the whole cosmos, the entire works, all there is. And with each one of us, it's waving and saying, here I am. <laughs> Only it does it differently each time. Because variety is the spice of life. But you see, the funny thing is, we haven't been brought up to feel that way. Instead of feeling that we, each one of us, are something that the whole realm of being is doing, we feel that we are something that has come into the whole realm of being as a stranger. When we were born, we don't really know where we came from, because we don't remember. And we think when we die, that's just going to be that. Some people console themselves with the idea that they're going to heaven, or that they're going to be reincarnated, or they're going to summer land, or something else. People don't really believe that. For most people it's plausible, the real thing that haunts them is that when they die, they're going to sleep and never going to wake up. They're going to be locked up in the safe deposit box of darkness forever. 
But that all depends, you see, upon a false notion of what is oneself. Now, the reason why we have this false notion of ourselves is, as far as I can understand it, that we have specialized in one particular kind of consciousness. Being very general, rough, we have two kinds of consciousness. One I will call the spotlight and the other the floodlight. The spotlight is what we call conscious attention. And that is trained into us from childhood as the most valuable form of consciousness. When the teacher in class says, pay attention, everybody stares and looks fast at the teacher like that. That spotlight consciousness. Fixing your mind on one thing at a time. Concentrate. And even though you may not be able to have a very long attention span, nevertheless you concentrate. You use your spotlight one thing after another, one thing after another, flip, 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 like that. But we also have another kind of consciousness, which I'll call the floodlight. For example, you can drive your car for several miles with a friend sitting next to you and your spotlight consciousness will be completely absorbed in talking to your friend. Nevertheless, your floodlight consciousness will manage the driving of the car, will notice all the stoplights, the other idiots on the road, and so on, and you'll get there safely without even thinking about it. But our culture has taught us to specialize in spotlight consciousness and to identify ourselves with that form of consciousness alone. I am my spotlight consciousness. My conscious attention, that is my ego, that is me. And very largely we ignore the floodlight. Now the floodlight consciousness is working all the time. Every nerve end that we have is its instrument. Now, because we have been brought up to identify ourselves with the spotlight consciousness, and the floodlight consciousness is undervalued, we have the sensation of ourselves as being just the spotlight. Just the ego that looks and attends to this and that and the other. And so we ignore and are unaware of the vast, vast extent of our being. People who by various methods become fully aware of their floodlight consciousness have what is called a mystical experience or a cosmic consciousness because they discover that the real deep, deep self that which you really are, fundamentally and forever, is the whole of being. All that there is, the works, that's you. Just as a sun or star has many rays, 
so the whole cosmos expresses itself in you, in you, in you, in you, in you, with all the different variations. It dances with infinite variety. But every single dance that it does, that is to say, you, is what the whole thing is doing. But you see, we forget it. We don't know. We, we, we've brought up in a special way. So that we are unaware of the connection. The external world is your own body extended. Woo, the man of tomorrow is here for some Sovereign Tech X action, which would be STX action, which kind of sounds like sex action, but that's not exactly what we're getting into here. But uh, but I am here for it. <laughs> you're here for Sovereign Tech X or you're here for the sex action? All of it. Wait. Wait, wait, what, what's that huge, um, oh dear. <laughs> it's, all right, well, <laughs> we won't talk about some of the stuff that's laying around in the studio right now. <laughs> I mean, unless you want to. There's a lot of toys in here. Yeah, wow. Well, it's the warmest place in the house, so, you know, when we want to... You know, set up a, a Skeletor diorama. Oh, yes, yeah, when we want to do yeah. that. This is the room we come to. Yes, not like role play is Skeletor and Evil Lynn and um, uh, anyway the things we never got to see on, on, on in animation. Um, <laughs> so yes, it's a it, damn shame, and it is a damn shame because all those people were jacked. And all right, uh, <laughs> but it is time for Sovereign Tech X, and as you can see, or should I say, as you can hear. Certainly, we'll be getting into some things that we've seen. But as you can hear, I am being joined by none other than my incredible, stunning wife, Woo! Mrs. Ellen Sovereign. Thank you. Yes, welcome to the show. And, uh, uh, you know, we do plan on doing these weekly. Um, well, that was the idea, but I think we got caught up, at least in the last couple of weeks. Um, you had a lot of pre-recorded episodes. Yes, like we they had to go out. Yeah, we also did an episode with Sek Magora of the Agora podcast. Yep, the Into the Void, which yeah. was a great time. And I think we've got it some was. other stuff planned for that as well. Um, but yeah, we got kind of caught up in the holidays, you know. Uh, as it happens. As it happens, yeah. I mean, people, for whatever reason, seem to like us and they... They want to spend time with us. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, talk to us and see us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, by the way, we actually, speaking of Sek... We got to hang out with Sek for fuck's sake. Yeah, we that met was... him in person. <laughs> what what a chill ass dude. What I mean, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> got to hang out with him and the family. That was uh that was a great time. I, I really enjoyed that. It was so nice. Yeah, yeah. In uh in in a in a very, very magical place. And uh, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and, and I mean, it, it, a well-recognized magical place. But anyway. All sorry, he wanted to do was talk about weird shit that he had seen on his travels. <laughs> yeah, it was so great. I love <laughs> yeah. that. I love that so yeah, much. It was really fun. Yes. Yeah. I even got to translate some Hebrew while we were there. Anyway. Um, so, you know, speaking of podcasts, a couple things I guess I want to open up with. And we're, then we're going to talk about uh, you've been reading some great shit. We, oh hell yes! Uh, yes, yeah, and and we're. I want to talk about some of that. I know you're far from done with the book, but I want to get into that. Um, we're actually just coming off of seeing Aquaman two, 
Which just we, hours ago. Yeah, just hours ago, which we uh, may talk about and get into review later on in the episode. We'll save that. Um, and we have a couple subjects that we might be able to get into. One of them we'll definitely get into. I don't know if we'll get into both, but they do play off of each other very well. Things that we wanted to get into in our last Sovereign Tech X episode that had to do with manifesting and internet culture and all that. Um, and but we so, talk a lot, so we'll see what we get to in this episode. Precisely. So, But what I do want to open up with is we actually, and, and this is one of the most exciting things, frankly for me, probably five, six, seven years, um, we are working on a new show. Yes. And uh, I'm not going to go into too many details. Um, this is a show that's going to launch soon, though. Um, but we are working on a on a new show. Uh, I'm really jazzed for this. And the one thing I will say about it, and this gets into another quick topic, is this new show is is going to have video. Like I I am going to be on video. I am going to do video. This is going to be uh, as much as a po- as a podcast as it'll be. It's also going to be on YouTube. Um, so this is this is a big deal. Now here's the thing, okay? To do this level of production, and hey, if you've been listening to Sovereign Tech for a long time, you know the levels of production I can bring. You do some epic production. I, I, yeah, I can. Um, and I can't wait for those to be re-released in the feed. Oh yeah, we're gonna get those. Out. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of stuff we got going on. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but here's the rub. Here's the rub with all this. So, so this new show. Trust me. This is something that will be exceptionally rare. Like there are not a lot of people doing this. Um, and you know, I'm gonna bring my usual and you also uh, will be a part of it, Ellen. Yes, um, I'll be a regular co-host. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're gonna bring our, shall we say, rare brand, you know, of, of uh, I mean, we don't do hot takes. Like they're not hot takes. This is just people that are like removed from the normalcy of civilization, you know, that, that come with the knowledge that bases that you and I have. And, you know, we bring our opinions to things, you know, it's not, we're not contrarian for contrarian sake, you know, sadly, that's what a lot of journalists and, you know, podcasters and whatever else are. No, this is how we really live and how we really think. And, you know, this is shit that we're going to get out there. What do you got? Yeah, I I feel like we've lived a long time in mainstream culture, Mm -hmm. or at least we we had spent many years enjoying, you know, what people consider to be normal, modern lives. Yeah, yeah. And out of that, we kind of, you know, spun out of it and kind of fell by the wayside. And Mm -hmm. um, we have these experiences but we don't want to go back to that lifestyle and yeah. we're going in a different direction with our lives in the future yeah um and i'm trying to not give it away but yeah, yeah. explain it a <laughs> yeah, little. you're certainly the, teasing. this is life philosophy that we've gathered over many years yes. of living in civilization and also reading about you know prior to modern day civilization yeah, yeah exactly so yeah th- this is again this is going to be some some rare air that we're going to be putting out there, and um, I'm really excited for it. Uh, the, there is a rub to it all, though, and that is to do this right, to give this what it needs. Uh, paradoxically, I need new I need new equipment. Like I, I I just like I don't have at this stage I don't have the hardware to make this happen. You know, or I mean, or at least to get it to the level that it needs to be. 
Um, so for the first time ever in my podcasting career, uh, I am doing a GoFundMe uh, to, to get the equipment that's necessary. Again, video is going to be... It's not like I don't have experience in video. I actually have a ton of experience in video. Um, but, you know, to do video... What do you got? You just want to make it more convenient for yourself. And oh, yeah. It's not like you haven't done similar things in the past. Like, I think you used to have a, a wish list that people could purchase things yep. for you from. Yep. Um, but they were generally, you know, lower-priced items. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but some of it is still equipment that I use today. Right. Uh, and that continues to get to get used. Um, yeah, and your fans have really enabled you to make yes. amazing content yes. with that equipment. Yeah, so... You know, we're looking at new microphones. We're looking at, uh, obviously, uh, high-end cameras. We're looking at um, perhaps the most important piece of kit is a new computer, a new, you know, and, and a new laptop. So it's something that can be done on the move. Um, and so, so I am doing a GoFundMe to put, you know, to help put all of this together. Now, all of this equipment doesn't just get used for the new show. It also gets used for everything that I do, you know, all the content that I create and we'll put that out there, you know, we'll allow that to go out there more. Um, but this is, this is no joke. Like this, is <laughs> this stuff's already mapped out, already planned out. Um, and I'm really excited for it. Uh, it's just something that again, to do it right, to get all of the stuff, you know, done as it should be. Um, and to hopefully attract more of the audience um, which, you know, the audience, I mean, we're, we're fortunate in a lot of ways today with how we can make things, you know, like now I think audiences, consumers, whatever you want to call them, viewers say with video, they're used to seeing a microphone in the, in the shot. Okay. As to where, you know, 10 years ago, even, oh no, you can't see the microphone, but you'd always get shitty audio because of that. It's like now people kind of get it. No, this is what a studio looks like. This is how professionals record and all of this. Like, they understand. So, you know, in some ways it's easier because I don't have to spend the money to buy equipment that hides that the equipment's there. No, in this case, you can see the fucking equipment and it's important for people to see it and it's how they know that you're a professional. You know, what you're doing. Like, it's part of that package. Um, so anyway, I am doing a GoFundMe to, to fund getting... Uh, getting the new machine, getting new equipment, all of that jazz. Um, and uh, if I don't meet the goal that I am looking at, uh, GoFundMe still, like, you know, let whatever people donate, it still uh, gives you that, that amount. And obviously, any amount helps. I don't sneeze at any amount. I have people who donate with Patreon. They still, you know, they, they donate a dollar a month. And I couldn't tell you how honored I am by that. Like I always say, if people are willing to pay any amount of money to listen to your opinions, you consider yourself lucky. Like the, the honor you should feel for that. So anyway, you can go to fundraiser.sovereigntech.com and that will take you right to the GoFundMe page. Um, and, you know, and, and, and I tell the story there and you know what what this is about what it goes to and um, i'm not going into details of what the new show is that that will wait and there will be you know t 
teases and trailers and everything when that time comes. And really excited for this, especially to have you so so integral and so involved, Ellen. Like I'm I'm, I'm so so jazzed for it. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, and and I know this will probably shock people, but I mean, I'm going. Yep, we're getting a MacBook Pro. Like we're doing the real shit, you know, with video. And again, that's fundraiser.sovereigntech.com. Making sure I'm getting that right. Fundraiser.sovereigntech.com. That'll take you right to the GoFundMe page. Um, if you know, I mean, GoFundMe does certain things to to make sure you know the person's legit or whatever. But if you need to hear it, here it is from me. Um, and I'm also people can reach out to me if they want to for any reason personally. Q22 at nwo.red. Um, I'm on Telegram. People know how to reach me there. Uh, all kinds of places. And and of course, if you're a patron already, you know how to reach me through Discord, you name it. And you're on Instagram. And I, yes, and that, yeah, exactly. Just go to nwo.red and you can find all that shit anyway. Uh, I, I should have just said that in the first place, right? Because I am on Instagram as well, verified on Instagram, in fact. Uh, you know, I have my little blue check mark, so you don't get that without your identity being verified. Um, so by all means, you know, check in if you want to make sure. Um, but this is really, really exciting stuff uh, that we have coming up. Okay, so all of that said, speaking of really, really exciting stuff, I want to talk about the book that you have been reading, Ellen. This is a book that came out in December of 2023, very early on. You jumped on it right away. Uh, I also you know, got my copy on Audible and everything. Um, and it's something that, or it's an author that we have been a fan of and have covered many times over on on the show uh especially when you've been on but i've talked about it separately as well that being dr michael greger of nutritionfacts.org woo. Uh, woo, yeah <laughs> and, uh, um he has written a uh a few bestsellers um to date including how not to die how not to diet how to Survive a Pandemic, which is a phenomenal read. Now, all three of those books are phenomenal reads. He's written a bunch of other books, too, like Carb Carbophobia, um, which was really good. And boy, do I want to talk about this. <laughs> I am so excited. God, I love every single one of Dr. Greger's books. He's great. Yes. He's dynamite. All right, so well, tell me about it. Yeah, him and his whole team. Yeah. Um, so I tell you about this book all the time because I listen to it on my drive home from work. So I've got like 45 minutes of Dr. Greger in my head every single day. Right. <laughs> um, and I'm learning new things all the time. It's so great. Like, so How Not to Age is kind of a remix on How Not to Die and How Not to Diet. But it has a very specific focus. And that is, you know, what are the aging pathways in mm -hmm. our biology? And what diet can we eat to contribute to the health of those aging pathways so that aging is slowed. Um, right. It's not necessarily claiming that there's any miraculous cures for aging out there. It's mm -hmm. more so just saying if you want aging to progress slowly and if you want to live a long lifespan but also a healthy lifespan, then these are the tips that you can follow. These are the rules that you can live by in order to do so. Because there's a lot of people in the world that don't want to live a long life because they think the last 20 years they're going to be decrepit. Right. But it doesn't have to be that way. Right. You can still age in a very healthy way and be spry and full of life mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. you're in your 80s. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think most people 
realize or um, necessarily want that for themselves. Like, they don't even know that that's something they can want for themselves. Yeah, I mean, just just for quick evidence, uh, William Shatner. Like, whatever the fuck he did in his life. um, (laughs) Like, talk about being spry in your 80s. This guy just doesn't stop, you know? (laughs) I mean, it's insane. Um, so, you know, just to say like, oh, you know, well, people can write this book today, but in 40 years they might end up being wrong. You know, like who, who, who's so spry at these ages? And it's like, oh no, there's lots of people who, who are in their eighties, you know, or even going into their nineties that are exceptionally spry. I mean, Shatner was doing a fucking motorcycle road trip, uh, around the country when he was in his eighties for fuck's sake. Uh, anyway, uh, continue. Right, right. So... Um, like I said, this book goes into the the major aging pathways. Like, I think everybody's heard about telomeres when yep. it comes to aging. That's something that Dr. Greger covers. Uh, he, he also talks about, like, sirtuins, antioxidants, um, DNA damage and repair, all sorts of things that contribute to, um, you know, your body's decay, decomposition, um, and what we can do to help repair it. Um like one of the most fascinating things I've learned so far in this book is that um, you can actually make your telomeres grow longer by eating certain foods, uh-huh. um, which is completely counter to what I have learned so far in my life. Right. Like I've I've taken a lot of uh, like biochemistry, biology courses in college, and most of them, whenever they talked about telomeres. You know, you you hear the same thing over and over again. Like when DNA replicates, telomeres shorten a little bit until eventually they completely disintegrate and your DNA splits apart. Right. um, Which causes apoptosis, which is cell death. Um, And that's just not true. Mm -hmm. You can actually grow the length of your telomeres um, or even slow, you know, the rate at which they decay over time to the point where... Like, somebody who is very healthy in their 80s mm-hmm. might have the same genetic age as somebody who's not quite as healthy that's in their 60s. Right. Now, let me let me put this in a little bit, because you're saying this can be done through diet. So, Dr. Greger is really big on being plant-based. Whole food plant-based diets. That yeah. is the specific terminology. Because it's not just about being a vegan or a vegetarian. Right. Vegans and vegetarians still eat plenty of junk food. Yeah. What what he is saying is increase... Pl- uh, so this is like the least controversial bit of nutrition advice that anybody can get. All doctors, all health advisors across the board agree that any increase in fruits and vegetable intake in your diet is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what Dr. Greger advocates is, well, why not just eat all whole, you know, plant foods? Right. Um, like make that your entire diet or at least right. over 90%. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of points I want to bring up. Um, of course there are doctors, quote unquote, who would subscribe to the carnivore diet that might not agree, but I get your point that, that most, you know, would say no, like adding in fruits and vegetables, a very good thing. Um, but the other point I want to bring in is one of the things that initially impressed me about Dr. Greger's work was right from the right from the first book I ever read by him, which was How Not to Die, which you introduced me to. Um, he he's big on the eighty twenty rule. Like he understands. Okay, 
maybe you're not going to, you know, be on this whole foods plant-based diet, um, you know, 100% of the time. You might have moments of weakness or something else, whatever. Or he might even, he would even, even in How Not to Die, he'd say, well, you might still eat meat. But even so, like 80% of the time, just shift to this and it's going to change things significantly for you. Yeah, he says it over and over again. Any increase is a good thing. Any increase in whole plant foods is a good thing. Right. So my point is this guy isn't like here to, you know, I just, I feel that he's very, um, he's not very hard line. He is hard line in the sense that he has tons of research that he's constantly quoting or that his organizations are part of. He only so on. talks about evidence-based nutrition. Exactly, exactly. Okay, and and it's never, it's not like, oh, just this one study. It's like, you know, he'll toss out two or three. And meta, meta-analysis yes. of studies, which right. take hundreds of studies or tens of studies and put them together into one large analysis. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I just, like, I want to put it out there just how... Um, I'm not even sure what the term I'm looking for, but just he's that, so well researched. Yeah, and he's just he's not like that hardline, you know. Like I think if you're a meat eater, you can still read his book and get and get tons out of it, you know. Like I mean, get so much information out of it. Um, I'm sure maybe yes, he would love it if everybody was more plant based, but or you know was plant based as far as uh, diets go. But regardless, he meets you where you're at, and and I really really dig that about his work. Please continue with, yeah, he, uh, with talking about this. He is respectful of people who, you know, still eat meat mm-hmm. and still eat junk food. Mm-hmm. Um, he just tries to present the evidence as, right. as he sees it. Um, and, of course, he has a whole team of researchers that work alongside of him. Yeah. Um, but it's really interesting to, to hear some of the things that he turns up. You know, like, I, I'm not just learning about how not to age in this book. I'm also learning... Like, there's a difference in quality of studies depending on how they perform the studies right. and what sort of evidence they get based off of those. You know, like, do they have a control group? Was yes. it a long-term study? Yeah. Was it double-blind randomized trials? Yeah. Um, these are all very important because it affects the quality of the information that comes out of the study. Yeah, just, just quick, something else that I, that I want to actually, like, inject about him is he's not coming from, oh, I feel so bad about the animals, you know, which is a totally fine thing to feel. Like, I'm there. I don't want to kill animals. I, don't I feel do that, yeah. Yeah, right, right. No, I'm just saying that he's not coming at this from a moralist argument, you know, like that. That's not that's not his style. And the reason I can say that confidently is because in the book I mentioned previously, um, How to Survive, How to survive a, a pandemic. pandemic, he argues for killing every every chicken like alive right now or, or, or every chicken that's in a a factory farm yes killing them right now and all then, of them right and then never factory farming them again and he argues for this because this is one of the lead uh, uh you know spreaders of, of whatever pandemic you know of, of disease uh what do you got yeah right i mean viruses basically breed in in these factory farms exactly. and they can randomize very quickly because the chickens are so closely packed together. Right. You know, infections just sweep through these populations. Right. Millions of Americans come down with bladder infections, urinary tract infections every year, including more than a million children. Uh, Most cases stay in the bladder, but when the bacteria creep up into the kidneys or get into the bloodstream, things can get serious. Thankfully, we have antibiotics. 
but there's now a pandemic of a new multidrug-resistant strain of E. coli, uh, discovered just in 2008, and now this so-called ST131 strain went from unknown to a leading cause of bladder infections the world over, resistant to even some of our second- and third-line antibiotics. And it's been found in chicken, retail chicken breasts sampled from across the country documenting a persisting reservoir of extensively antimicrobial-resistant expect bacteria, the extra-intestinal pathogenic E. coli, including the ST131 strain, in retail chicken products in the United States, uh, suggesting a potential public health threat. See, urinary tract infections may be foodborne, uh, by which they mean predominantly poultry, chicken, and turkey, so maybe we shouldn't be feeding antibiotics to these animals by the ton in poultry production. But wait, foodborne bladder infections? What are you doing with that drumstick? No, eating contaminated chicken can lead to the colonization of the rectum with these bacteria that can then even months later crawl up into the bladder to cause an infection. The problem of increasing antimicrobial resistance is so dire that some experts are predicting that the era of antibiotics may be coming to an end, ushering in a post-antibiotic era in which common infections and minor injuries can once again kill. More than 80% of E. coli isolated from beef, pork, and poultry exhibited resistance to at least one antibiotic, and more than half from poultry were resistant to five different drugs. One of the ways this happens is that viruses, called bacteriophages, can transfer antibiotic-resistant genes between bacteria. About a quarter of these viruses, isolated from chicken meat, were found able to transduce antibiotic drug resistance into E. coli. And one of the big problems with this is that disinfectants used to kill bacteria are in many cases not able to eliminate these viruses. Uh, some of these viruses are even resistant to bleach at the kinds of concentrations used in the food industry. And likewise alcohol, uh, which is what you find in many hand sanitizers, also unable to harm most of them. The irony is that the industry has tried to intentionally feed these viruses to chickens. Why would they do that? It can boost egg production in hens and increase body weight gain in broiler chickens to get them to slaughter weight faster. Uh, the only thing that seems to dissuade the industry is if anything affects the taste of the meat. Uh, that's why the industry had to stop spraying chickens with benzene to try to kill off all the parasites. The meat ended up with a distasteful flavor described as strong, acidic, musty, medicinal, biting, objectionable, and mm, tasty. But what if you buy organic chicken? Uh, for another type of bacteria, Enterococcus, antibiotic-resistant bugs were found in both conventional and organically raised chicken, but were less common in organic. Uh, only about one in three contaminated with drug-resistant bugs, compared to nearly one in two. Uh, but in a study of hundreds of prepackaged retail chicken breasts tested from 99 grocery stores, being labeled organic or antibiotic-free did not seem to impact the contamination levels of antibiotic-resistant E. coli from fresh retail chicken, though purchasing meat from natural food stores appeared to be safer regardless of how it was labeled. Kosher chicken appeared to be the worst, nearly twice the level of antibiotic-resistant E. coli contamination compared to conventional, which goes against the whole concept of kosher. No difference in drug resistance between the E. coli swab from conventional chicken versus organic and raised without antibiotics chicken, but either way, kosher 
was worse. Uh, but how could organic and raised without antibiotics chicken not be better? Uh, well, it could be cross-contamination at the slaughter plant, so you know, bugs just jump from one to the other. Or it could be the organic chicken loophole. USDA organic standards prohibits the use of antibiotics in poultry starting on day two of the animal's life. This is an important loophole, since even antibiotics considered critical for human health are routinely injected into one-day-old chicks and eggs, uh, which has been directly associated with antibiotic-resistant foodborne infections. And there was no difference in the presence of XBEC bacteria between organic and conventional, uh, the bacteria implicated in urinary tract infections. Uh, these findings suggest that retail chicken products in the United States, even if they're labeled organic, pose a potential health threat to consumers because they're contaminated with extensively antibiotic-resistant E. coli. And even if we were able to get the poultry industry to stop using antibiotics, the contamination of chicken meat with XBEC bacteria could still remain a threat. Yeah, so so you know, I'm just making it clear like this isn't this guy is not some hippy dippy like oh oh he's just you know he doesn't want to he doesn't want to turn cows into baseball gloves and all this stuff. No, no 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 that's not where he's coming from. He he's incredibly pragmatic in my opinion. Um, and again, I don't have a problem with the moralist arguments either, but I know a lot of people do is that they think it's just a bunch of sissies or something that are like vegetarians or whatever. Oh, no, no, no. This guy wants to wipe out millions of chickens overnight. Um, and, and All right, but he's not heartless. You're no, he's not, he's not heartless, but, but I mean, I can respect that. And I actually kind of, like, I've even, I've come out on the show and talked about that. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm not into killing anything, but um, I'm all for the chicken holocaust. Like, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> like I, I, I get it. Uh, maybe poor use of terms, but I'm Jewish. It's fine. So, <laughs> so is he actually. Uh, but anyway, um, I, I'm just saying that like this is this is this is a guy coming from like you said evidence backed, uh, and he's not messing around. And I and I love it. No. I, like he hits hard, pulls no punches. I I I, I love it. Um, but okay, so so what's what would you say, I mean, you've laid out some dynamite stuff. Like, actually, one of the best things I'd heard th that you mentioned, it was a real eye-opener for you as well, and when you were telling me about it over breakfast, it blew my mind when, when you brought it up. How the standard American diet, right, argues for consuming dairy, right? Right. Oh, yes, yes. Do so you, want, you want to finish? Um, the, the food pyramid that yes. the USDA uses to recommend servings of various fruits, vegetables, whatever food group it happens to be. Mm -hmm. uh, this food pyramid, um, one of the levels of the pyramid is dairy. Yeah. Um, and they recommend, you know, milk, cheese, eggs, yogurt, um, however many servings. I, I wish I had looked this up before you brought it up. I don't remember how many servings That's they okay. recommend. But anyway. People get it. Yeah. Um, the, that is actually racist. Yeah. And this is, this is legitimately racist because, um, the majority of the world, mm -hmm. whether it's Native Americans, Japanese, Jewish people, yes. Chinese, you know, go down the list. Everybody in the world, there's like zero to 30% of adults who can actually stomach lactose. It's only white Europeans, mm -hmm. 30 to 60% of them can stomach lactose as adults right. without lactose intolerance. Right. 
but most other lineages are lactose intolerant. Absolutely. Yeah. As adults. because And it makes sense because we're not meant to drink the milk of our mothers right. throughout our entire lifespan. Right. So basically the only ancestry that can that that has a uh, a significant amount of lactose tolerant that can consume lactose on the planet are white people. Yeah. And so his point is this is basically institutional racism. And he's not wrong. Like I mean and and I bring this up partly to say like he's not heartless. <laughs> Clearly he has a heart. Okay? But it's such an amazing you don't even realize it, you know. Um until like someone just says it like that and 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 it stunned me as well and i'm like yeah holy shit because same thing you know uh like 99% of ashkenazi jews are lactose intolerant you know right. I, I mean they just are now again and this speaks to and and it's always so funny because oh well ashkenazi jews are just white european jews no no motherfucker they're middle eastern okay <laughs> <laughs> and and if you need the proof part of it is you know you, you can smell them from a mile away if they're having dairy and so <laughs> okay <laughs> they're not white people stop that uh, but regardless that that's not even important because everybody's an individual in my opinion and so blah 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 okay uh and and there's no such thing as species or race but okay regardless but there is lineage <laughs> but but there yeah there is ancestry okay and that's a thing and i get it okay and I, i'm not like a you know a biological denier of some kind um but the point being that i mean this is something that you know i'm reminded my hero Harlan Ellison, and I've quoted him many times on this in the past, where he, you know, so beautifully stated that, you know, most people don't even notice, they don't even, you know, like racism so embedded in our culture, in our society, they don't even notice that it's there. Like they just right. don't know. And something as simple as dairy being a recommended part of your diet. Yeah, that's fucking racist, right? But you don't know. And, and, and like, does that make you a racist? No, but it just shows you that, again, the doctors don't give a fucking shit, you know, about anybody beyond, you know, perhaps the average white American. Yeah, and you know what's funny, too, is that most doctors don't even get nutrition uh, education when they're oh, in college. Always, that always drives me nuts. Another credit for Dr. Gregor that I'll give. Um, yeah, that it, he calls out doctors on that? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you know, like you see, I, I've seen so many dietitians, you know, and, and, and sometimes, and I say this, <laughs> everybody's got their challenges. Okay. But like, if you're a fucking nutritionist or a dietitian, I expect you to fit through the door. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> Do you expect to look like you're in peak health and yes. physical fitness. Yes. Because I, because what you're telling me to do, I expect to see working in your life. Okay. And, and, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's like, it's like the little boy sitting in front of the doctor in the fifties and the little boy starts coughing and the doctor's there just smoking right in front of him. And the doctor says, boy, I don't like the sound of that cough. Well, no shit. You're smoking in front of me, motherfucker. But you know what I mean? Like this, this is the, 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 uh, uh the inconsistency, the contradiction that exists in the medical industry. One of the credits to Dr. Gregor, this guy's like in his fifties. Holy fuck. I think he could outrun me. He is I mean, so spry. He's, he's so full of energy. He's so you fucking, can hear it. He narrates uh, all of his books. He does yes, all of these yes. videos for nutritionfacts.org. Yes. And he's just jumping yes. in the air as he's talking about these yeah. exciting nutrition yeah. topics. Yeah. Oh, he's and he turned 50 while he was writing this book. Right, right. I mean, it's just it's phenomenal. So, you know, that's one of the things I always I always look for. I mean, conversely, 
you know, again, just to so that people don't think I'm picking on, you know, uh, obese people or something. Um, I prefer my chef to not fit through the door. I prefer, <laughs> I prefer a chef to, like, clearly they know what good food is. They well, have the experience and I want to see it on the waistline. I am you know? your chef most of the time. Well... Yeah, see, you know, actually, I just say that, and that's kind of contradicting, right? Because I don't want my dietitian to be, <laughs> but but I want my chef to be, and it's like, right. wait, uh, all right, anyway. It depends on uh, what you're going. If yeah, you're going for, like, you're soul food, yeah, yeah, I hear that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. If I'm going out to eat, it's, it, it depends. Are we at home or are we going out to eat? Are, are we going yeah. out to have a good time and eat something that's, like, tasty and unhealthy? Right. You know, just right. hits right in the heart. Yeah, but honestly, it and doesn't the have... coronary arteries. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that way either. Like, everybody can be eating healthy, like, in How Not to Age, and uh, and that can even be at the restaurant, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so being kind of funny in a lot of this, but this is the real deal. Now, uh, what, what's the best tip you've heard from this book? Oh, um, well, it depends on who you are. So... Like, for the majority of people who are just getting into health and nutrition and want to find, you know, a source of high-quality information, mm -hmm. keep in mind, so this is something Dr. Greger points out a lot, a lot of these um, health food studies are industry-funded, which means that there's an industry that is paying for these research uh, experiments to be done. Right. So, like, the dairy industry yeah. funding research that shows that dairy is beneficial in whatever way right there's even fucking studies out there that show that coke and pepsi products are beneficial but it's like you know what are you comparing it to yeah. that makes it beneficial but the point is once these industry funded studies get published then the industries can claim oh our food is healthy because look at this study mm -hmm. so there's a lot of information that is misleading out in the world mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and that is why it's so confusing to figure out like what is the ideal diet for me because right. there's there's just companies that will take advantage of people's ignorance um, sure for profit period mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. all they want um it's not like there's a lot of studies out there uh, he makes this joke a lot uh, by Big Broccoli, you know, <laughs> Big Broccoli Industries not funding studies about how amazing broccoli is, but they should be because cruciferous vegetables are like the some of the most healthy foods on the planet. Right. Because they contain high amounts of sulforaphane, um, which is like a, a miracle molecule. But mm. I'll let you look into that on your own. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, another one uh, that I thought was interesting is uh, apparently he calls bullshit on resveratrol. I was, yes. I was shocked by that. Do you yeah. want to tell me more about that? So that's another fascinating one. Um, resveratrol is an antioxidant mostly found in purple grapes, but people know it mostly um, from red wine. Right. And one of the things that Dr. Greger talks about in this book is how alcohol is something that leads to more aging. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because when you drink alcohol, it's broken down into your in your body into acetic acid, which is vinegar. Everybody's yeah. familiar with that. But there's an intermediate step where it's acetaldehyde, um, which is actually carcinogenic, uh, meaning it causes cancer in people. Yeah. So there's a small amount of carcinogens that are produced in your body every time you drink alcohol mm -hmm. now 
Um, that's true for any alcohol you drink. Mm-hmm. Red wine contains resveratrol, which can help mitigate some of those negative effects because it has that antioxidant property. Um, but it doesn't mean that resveratrol is the only antioxidant in red wine. Um, there's actually, you know, hundreds of different compounds in red wine right. or grapes that um, that synergistically act together in your body to produce whatever effects they do. Mm-hmm. So when you just isolate one molecule like resveratrol from from grapes or from red wine, um, it doesn't always have the same effect as it would in concert with all of those other molecules. Right. Um, and what Dr. Greger is talking about is that there are a lot of studies coming out recently showing that resveratrol by itself doesn't, it, it isn't the anti-aging molecule that everybody thought it was. Like, uh-huh. it's not a super antioxidant. It's just so dumb because I, I had this professor in college. Oh, yeah. Here it goes. <laughs> He was such a jerk, but um, he he made this uh, company that sold coffee with resveratrol mixed in. Right. And it was supposedly like the superfood, which like coffee in itself, yeah, it's great for your liver. Sure. You know, it's it's actually kind of a healthy drink. Sure. Um, but he added resveratrol just because he thought it would like make it more of a superfood and like health nuts would flock to buying this. Um, yeah. I mean, you're but, basically copying Dave Asprey's, you know, playbook, where, but he just added casein, or, you know, he added butter. But anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's funny to think about, because the way Dr. Gregor described it, like, all of the health benefits from resveratrol mm-hmm. that people thought it had over the last 10 years, now we're finding out, that was all kind of just a mirage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and this is funny for me, because... Um, I don't want to get too sidetracked on it, but it might actually lead into our next story. But um, I started supplementing resveratrol. Uh, I won't be anymore, you know, partly because of the research that you shared with me. Um, well, you should know better because I tell you all the time to get your nutrition from whole food, plant-based No, I, I, I know, products. I know. So, but here's the thing. Like, so for me, okay, let, let, let's, and, and let's, we'll, Remind me to bring this back into resveratrol, okay, because it's important. So here's the thing. Um, you put me in the gym, okay, and I know exactly what I'm doing. Uh, and, you know, like I, I, I know the time-tested techniques. I know all the jazz. Like, get me in there. That's home. Y- you know, uh, I don't want to say I'm a master there. You know, I'm not a Mr. Olympia or something, but, like, very few people could tell me, okay, no, this is what you should do in the gym and like make a good argument for what I'm doing is wrong. Um, just too much experience with all this stuff. Okay. However, with diet, and that doesn't include supplementation with diet, you know, and a lot of these other things, like this is where I wholly rely on upon you. Like, (laughs) and, and this is what I love. Like the fact that you're, I mean, I'll read this book too. Um, but like, you know, I know you're on it and you're going to make the changes in our, in our diet, in our life that need to be made. You're going to tell me, and I just do it, you know, whatever it is. I'm like, okay, fine. 
and 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 we move on. You know, we go forward. What do you got? Wait, is this why you don't listen to me about supplementation? Because no, you can't separate no. supplements from no, diet. They I agree with you. They are part of the same package. No, no, I I agree with you. That that's not the point I'm getting at. Um, I'm just saying, uh, what, what I'm getting at is like this is an area, and and the irony is, you know, diet builds the muscle more so than getting in the gym does, right? Well, diet builds everything. Yes. You know, it builds all of your tissues. Right. Not just muscle. No, right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. But like diet is so much more important than you need to have exercise as well. But diet is, you know, as as many say, that's 80% of it, of the muscle. 20% is exercise. Okay. So what I'm getting at here is, you know, like I research heavily into you know more of the the bodybuilding side of things the weightlifting side of things and all this now that usually comes with that that industry is funded in fact honestly largely by like supplements supplementation among other things okay so the things that i normally read i like to take in information that comes at a slow pace okay um for example like reading a book is way better than reading 20 million websites or uh, internet stories in a year. Like like one book is going to blow away what you could read in, in in your entirety in a year, even if you're doing like a story a day or something. Okay. Um, I normally would read magazines, you know, uh, uh, muscle magazines, like Muscular Development and some others. Okay. Unfortunately, Muscular Development went out of business in yeah, November really of 2023. Sad. It fucking sucks. Okay. But they're the ones... And because I feel like they did the great work, they did the slow work, they pulled the studies, they give you the study numbers so you can go reference them and look at them yourself and everything. They did such great work. They're the ones that got me onto resveratrol. Okay, so so kind of kind of bringing it, you know, bringing it back. Um, and the point ultimately that I, that that I'm getting at, in my opinion, like you want the information, especially information like this you know, how not to age or how not to die, which that's kind of saying the same thing, right? <laughs> you know, the titles of, of his books. But um, I mean, I had said when this book came out, I was like, honestly, all he has to do is just have updated information from, I mean, when did how not to die come out? How, how long ago was that? Five, six, oh, seven that, years? That was at least seven years ago. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, even if he just updated the information for, okay, it's seven years later, it could be how not to die too, or revised edition or something like that. And I would have been all over it, you know, and I know you would have been too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was basically saying like, no, that's really all he needs to do. You know, uh, he's doing a lot more obviously based upon what you've talked about. Okay. But this is the thing is you have to, you, you can't just have one study that you base the information off. I don't even think you can just have two. You really got to have more than that. And well, and, he has 13,000 no, in this book. Exactly. And I know he had to cut the book down, right? He talks about that, that like originally the book was what, 500 pages or something? Or no, it was thousands of pages. Yeah, wasn't it was it? more like 2,000 yes. pages. And yeah, he it cut thousands. it down to 500. Right. For the publisher. Right. Which I think is bullshit. <laughs> he should have pushed back on that. Yeah. Give us the full version. Right. Right. No, totally. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, so so here's the thing is, you know, if you go for your diet and supplementation of advice and all this jazz, if you go for that on the internet, look, these websites have to push shit out 
five, 10, 20 times a day, sometimes even more than that, if they're lucky enough to have a writing team. They're going to take every little fucking study, nitpick it to hell, and come out with some kind of clickbaity headline for you to read, okay? But then inside of five minutes, that study could be debunked by another study. Like, you cannot take in health information, particularly. Really, I think this is true for all information. But you can't take in health information at that speed, at the speed at which the internet and media outlets present it. It doesn't make sense. I would even argue also that as much as I love monthly muscle mags, which barely exist anymore now, especially, um, even that could be too fast. You know, it's something that has to be done over a long period of time. And, you know, that's where a book like this comes in and, in my opinion, wins. Because it, it doesn't just tell you the new information, it compares. Um, and so, you know, it, that's, a, that's a really potent package, uh, you know, to, to have. Um, and, you know, again, you could say, well, a study will come out tomorrow that'll say that it's all wrong. Yeah, but it's not just about a study suddenly coming out and saying X, Y, Z. Okay, it's over time and in comparison to other studies that are happening in conjunction, in conjunction, you have to compare all of those. And that really, in my opinion, that can only happen in a book. Because I think a lot of people would be like, well, why read a health book today? I can just go to healthline.com or something like that. Now, the way that, like, information of this nature does not get presented well um, on the internet overall, in my opinion. Do, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, you really need to do a lot of comparisons because it's all it's all in comparison, you know? Yeah. Like, even just saying the word health food, like, okay, it's healthy in comparison to what, you know? Yeah. And, and that can just be broken down in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, but I think Dr. Greger does an excellent job. And if I could just say, like, why I think this book is so important for people mm -hmm. to listen to mm -hmm. and why it's important for people to make these positive changes toward whole food plant-based diets, mm -hmm. because there is evidence now showing that, like, for in regards to the nurture-nature argument of what determines how you feel on a daily basis, like how healthful you are, um, whether or not you're healthy in the long term, you know, whether you get right. cancer or have diabetes or heart disease, you know, all of these top killers of people in the U.S. today, mm -hmm. um, that actually breaks down not to 50-50% of nature nurture. It's actually more like 70% of the results of the way you are as an adult have to do with your lifestyle and diet choices, right. not genetics. Genetics plays a small role, like 30%, so that's still something, mm -hmm. but over 70%, you get to choose based on what you do. Yeah, right. Who you are and how healthy you are. Yeah. And I think that is so important for people to understand. Like, your life is literally in your hands. Mm -hmm. Your long-term health is in your hands. How you feel on a day-to-day -day basis. It's what you do and what you eat. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. I, I completely agree. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I I mean, again, I haven't dived into the book yet. Um, I explained why I haven't yet. Like, I let you get right in. You know, uh, I mean, you have an insanely busy schedule, but, you know, I know that, like, particularly Dr. Greger, 
is like the the Devin Townsend of health for you. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, I, I only have a couple people that I follow after religiously. Yeah, yeah um, right. But Dr. Greger is is one of those people just because like he delivers the information that I've wanted my entire life. Yeah. Of like yeah. you know just super high quality and um I I guess there's some other things associated with that. Obviously I'm biased because I was already a vegetarian when mm-hmm. I found mm-hmm. him, but um evidence-based nutrition that's you know I'm all about evidence. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and again, he takes no profits from, uh, as I understand it, I, I think it's probably still true for this book, but he took no profits. He takes no profits from uh, from book sales. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of people who I, I'm surprised, you know, speaking of like some, shall we say, some uh, some bodybuilding or weightlifting or fitness podcasts, um, they, they never seem to take him on. Like they, they never, you know, I'm always waiting for them to, to like... You know, you know, to go after him and debunk him because these, some of these podcasts, I can't stand them because they'll, they'll do exactly what I was just talking about that, you know, most media outlets online, you know, or websites will do where they're like, Oh, well now we have this study that says this, 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 this. And it's like, yeah, but you're only bringing out one study, man. Like, right. Let's have some comparison. Aren't uh, there other studies that looked at the same things? Right. Right. And you know, I mean, like as far as supplements go, one of the ones that like I never even flinch at recommending is creatine. But that's because there are so many fucking studies about creatine. Like it's it it's crazy how much it's researched and it's positive across the board. You know, uh, I mean, based upon intake, but it's positive across the board. And and that's I just hope people learn to get into that mindset. You know, because that that's almost like your your uh, you know we're talking about like your diet. This is like your mental diet. You know, you don't eat fast food. Well, don't don't eat fast. Don't don't consume fast facts either. Or if if I were to call it that, um, fast information. How about that? So, anything else you want to get out about uh, Hanate Age? Yeah, just one other thing. Um, I don't want to give the whole book away, but yeah, yeah. I do want to say I felt really good hearing this little bit of information because it kind of confirms that what we're doing uh, is a good thing. And and what we're practicing is intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. Um, not it, It's a specific type of intermittent fasting. It's um, where we eat breakfast and lunch and we don't eat dinner. Right. Um, so we just have a very short eating window that's like eight hours or Correct. less. Um, yeah. And one thing that leads to is... Like, well, first of all, we only have two meals, so we have to make them count. Nutritionally speaking, we have to get in everything that we need as far mm-hmm. as vitamins, minerals, nutrients um, into those two meals. And yep. the other thing is, like, that means we're not snacking late at night. You know, we're not having a big meal and dessert at the end of the day. Um, so in a way, we're kind of calorie restricting. Um, one of the things that Dr. Greger talks about in How Not to Age is that like minor calorie calorie restriction and we're talking like you know 200 calories a day or something so like 1800 calories consumed in a 24-hour period instead of 2000 um something like that Mm -hmm. um that can lead to longer lifespans sure a lot of research on this yeah um i've had you know friends who work in life extension and i mean or you know like the research around calorie restriction and uh, 
I mean, there, there's a downside to that because you can take that to an extreme where you have zero strength. Well, uh, comparatively, that's not healthy either. If you're so hungry that you have obsessive food thoughts. Yeah. Well, sure. Right. Right. Um, but I mean, yes, there is, there absolutely is something to calorie restriction. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, just a 200 calorie restriction per 24 hour period. So that's Mm -hmm. like, you know, don't eat that cupcake. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Your life could be longer because of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, always the, the the trick with calorie restriction is always to, at the very least at first, until you get used to it, you have to, you have to occupy the mind. Like, you have to trick it, you know, into not feeling, like, say, the hunger pang or into finding something more enjoyable than the cupcake, you know. Um, honestly, for me, and I don't just mean, I don't mean for me personally, I mean that I've always recommended to be, I mean, this is one of the great things about video games. Because video games just activate so much of your consciousness um, that I think they they can, like, you know, if you're feeling hungry, pop in a video game. You know, I, I mean, because it's different. Like, with movies and TV shows, it doesn't work. You want to eat while you're, uh, you, you know, watching a movie or watching a TV show. But something that's more interactive. It yes. does consume all of your attention. Yes, that. Yeah, it's so easy to lose track of time doing that. Yeah, with a video game, totally. I mean, you, you get literally lost in a whole other world. Oh, God. And, I mean, not only that, like, you can even, you know, pl- say you're playing, like, Tears of the Kingdom or something. Like, you can cook in the fucking game and watch Zelda, or, I mean, not Zelda, watch Link eat. And, honestly, like... It's like a mukbang. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, not the same, but right. But I similar mean, idea. But but I, I think it I think it can help stave off. You know, like okay, well, I'm doing it here, and, right. and it, but it's different. Um, but that's always I. The video games are, are just so amazing because the, they are a wonderful distraction. And I oh, say yeah. I say wonderful, not 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 bad. Um, I mean, anybody can take things to extremes and be bad, but like they're they're just they're they're wonderful. Um, okay, so anything else you want to get out there? I, I would highly recommend listening to this book or reading it for anybody who hasn't. And if you are unfamiliar with Dr. Greger, check out his website, nutritionfacts.org. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and, and listening to him is a lot of fun. He, he's, he's funny. Like his he writing, is so funny. Yeah, his writing style is great, but his speaking style melds with it, and it's very funny. He ca- he makes up his own sayings too. Like yes. it doesn't matter how shred if you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah, yeah, or the famous, you know, until they put it to the test. <laughs> oh man, he brings that in so many times, yeah. and he always says it the same way. Yes. Put it to the test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's good. So, all right. Um, yeah, I, I, great stuff to get out there. Um, again, I never really hear anyone else talking about his books, so will I take 30 minutes to talk about them in my podcast? Absolutely. Yeah, um, uh, because we're so passionate about yeah. health and longevity. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm all about, honestly, I'm all about immortality. Like, really, I, I, I am. Um, and being the best human being that you can be. Yes. Like, fulfilling your potential. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, you can look around in, in, in the studio here and I'm like, wait, like, is, is there, is there an example of what I want to look like or someone? Or, oh, wait a minute. What's that over there? Oh, is that Jay Cutler? Jeez. Well, as Mr. Olympia. As Mr. Olympia. Looking like a Greek gets signed by Jay Cutler, actually. 
at some point, I'll have to share the, uh, that picture on on Instagram that you were very gracious to take when uh, when he and I got together when we when I when um when I got to meet him. So, anyway, yeah, <laughs> like that's there because like that's, I mean, I don't expect to achieve that, but that's the goal. Like that that's that's the or I shouldn't say that's not the goal. That's the journey, right? That's the direction you want to head. That's the direction. Yes. So. Uh, yeah, I'm very much into that. You know, very, very much into health, obviously. Um, but that immortality thing, yeah, that that that's legit. We might get into that a little bit more. So something I want to talk about next, and this kind of plays off of what we were getting to more at the end there. Um, and we had teased this when we were talking about Henry David Thoreau in the last episode, as well as Ralph Waldo Emerson and all that. Uh, and how this kind of came about is these are guys, especially Ralph Waldo Emerson, who were leaders of what would be known as the New Thought Movement. Okay, in the, I mean, it was all around the world, but it was certainly white hot in the United States in the late 19th century, early 20th century. Today I want to address a question that we get often about what is New Thought? We're a part of New Thought, and you hear New Thought being bantered about in our world. And so New Thought is the phrase that is used to describe an umbrella, I call it an umbrella, that that hangs over a number of spiritual traditions that exist in the world today. One of the things that William James told us is that new thought is the unique contribution that the United States of America has made to the formation of religion in our world. And so new thought is the umbrella phrase for, for unity, the, the wonderful teaching called Unity, for our teaching, which is called Science of Mind and Spirit, for um, divine science, and, and even some feel that Christian science kind of can fit under the phrase of new thought. But it's all about new thought ancient traditions. That's something that one of my colleagues, Dr. Michael Beckwith, talks about. Because what we teach isn't really new, it's ancient, and the concepts are woven through many traditions from many different parts of our world. It's just that, that new thought is an invitation to have a new idea, to consider a new idea about the way the universe works, about our own individual cosmology. And we teach people how to think new thoughts because it's so easy to get caught up in our stories and in our traditions and in what people told us was true from about everything from how we live our lives to religion and the nature of the universe. And so new thought is a great phrase because it invites us to have a new thought. And new thought is spiritual study, spiritual practice, spiritual contemplation, spiritual awareness that invites us into a deeper new idea, new thought about ourselves and our world. And so we sometimes are afraid of our new thoughts, but our new thoughts are good. I know my new thoughts lead me into really amazing experiences. And this would kind of come back a hundred years later or so uh in the form of the secret by Rhonda Byrne uh which was a I mean I, I don't think you can understate just how big of a deal that documentary was like it was I mean she she made millions if not billions off of it uh has had multiple books come out about it there's even like movies that are branded 
that have been made uh, branded with the secret as it's, you know, branding um, fictional movies, you know, and with budgets and like real actors and everything. Um, it's a, it's a big deal. I, I feel like it's one of those things. I mean, ideas, you know, th they always talk about how fashion runs on like a 30 year cycle, you know, like in the nineties, the sixties fashion was making a comeback. People were wearing bell bottoms and circular sunglasses all over again. Whether and today people are dressing like it's the nineties. At right. least they're trying to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so, so there's this idea of there's like a 30 year or maybe a 20 year cycle, something like that. Um, with a lot of these kinds of things. And, and it seems like right now, manifesting, which is really part and parcel of the law of attraction, which is what The Secret was all about, uh, has become the thing on the internet. Now, I have a couple stories about it. We don't necessarily have to dive into those. Um, but we can, but I want to talk about it a little bit. I, I, I want to get, because this is really becoming a big fucking thing. Um, in the most innocuous places, I hear people start talking about, you know, manifesting. Same. Yeah. It, you know, like in YouTube videos that have nothing to do with manifesting. Right. Right. And it just like comes up and, oh, it manifested that and did that and, did, you know, and uh, I'm really bothered by this. Um you know, that, that this is like becoming such a popular thing because I feel like it is so wildly misunderstood. I probably am going to pull up a story here just so we have something to contrast against. Um, but you know, a little bit of, a little bit of history on this, you know, again, this idea really comes out of, uh, the new thought movement, which had varying leaders like Wallace D. Waddles, um, Charles Hanel, who's actually one that I am a fan of, uh, Napoleon Hill would be a very famous one, Think and Grow Rich, uh, you know, a lot of this, and it all comes down to this idea. In fact, let me, let me pull up the story here. Um, this one in particular is from Vox, even though I have another one that is a very long, but fascinating read from Aeon, uh, titled of memes and magic, basically talking about how Silicon Valley is pulling all from Alistair Crowley's playbook. Um, and that Silicon Valley is now openly uh, becoming messianic, though they think they're the messiahs, and openly like saying, yeah, no, our goal is to become gods, uh, which, you know, I'm not saying I necessarily disagree with the abstractness maybe of what they're talking about, um, but the idea that you're going to achieve this through technology, whole other, whole other ballgame. Uh, anyway, this story is shut up. I'm manifesting. The byline is uh, the latest internet wellness craze is thinking your way to a better life. Whether it works or not really isn't the point. Um, so anyway, it gives a little preamble about the secret, of course. Um, let me actually, before, before I read what they define manifesting as, did you ever watch the secret? Did you ever like buy into this law of attraction stuff, Ellen? And there's no wrong answer. No, not at all. Okay. I heard about it. Um, uh -huh. Did you ever watch it? No, I never watched. Okay, continue. The, I, I never watched it. Yeah. Um, no, I I never believed in manifesting. I just believed in hard work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But, uh, you know, there's a caveat to that, and I don't know if we have to get into that now. But like, through a lot of my hard work, at, I didn't realize that I was 
in a sense, manifesting. Ooh, do you want to tell me more what you mean by that? Um, or do you want to well, save it? Let's save it. Let's okay. save it. Okay. All right. We'll try to put a pin on that. So here we go. I'm reading from this piece from Vox. Uh, quote unquote, manifesting or the practice of thinking aspirational thoughts with the purpose of making them real has never been more popular. From late March to mid-July, Google searches for the term have skyrocketed 669%. Uh, Shut up on manifesting is among the defining memes of, in this case, 2020. Yet even pre-pandemic interest had been gradually rising since around 2017, alongside burgeoning conversations around wellness and self-care. At the same time, uh, as stereotypically woo-woo practices involving crystals, essential oils, tarot and energy wavelengths were reaching the general consciousness professionals and influencers touting these methods were making bank um, one of them even made it to the presidential primary debate stage uh, and i'm not sure who that is marianne williamson i guess okay wouldn't have any idea because fuck politics we're anarchists here yeah uh, <laughs> woo. uh reading on in a moment where all where all any average citizen can really do ultimately is hope for a better future than the one we're currently living in it's no wonder the practice of manifesting has exploded like so many other uh trends after the quarantine homemaking bread baking tie-dyeing or learning tic-tac TikTok dances, manifesting feels like a way to accomplish something we have control over in a time uh, we're mostly powerless to affect any real change. There is also a lower barrier to entry than almost any other activity. All you need are your dreams and to think about how nice it would be uh, if they all came true. So I want to read the next part, which is what is manifesting and why do people do it? Do you have any thoughts on what I've read so far though, Ellen? No, please continue. The act of manifesting either has a ton of complicated rules or is whatever you want it to be, depending upon who you ask. Our uh, One popular TikTok claims that uh, by simply coming across it, you've already manifested the video and that, in fact, you've unconsciously manifested everything that has ha- ever happened in your life. Uh, she quickly car- clarified in the comments that, quote, nobody manifests their trauma, end quote. What? So, uh, yeah. That's confusing. Yeah, well, this is this is where I mean, this is the thing, like, and, and a point we'll get to. Ma- like, if you just poke at manifesting, like the house of cards fall, like, like any any, and I, it's not even logic. Even just think about like, even just come at from an emotional aspect, and it completely falls apart. Yeah, um, it sounds like there's not even a singular definition. There's lots right. of different definitions. Right, right, and and like this this tick. Talker, I don't know what the fuck you call those people, um, but this person on TikTok like had to come out super clear and say, "Oh, but 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 nobody manifests their trauma." Like because this is manifesting can often, and the law of attraction in general really comes off as victim blaming. Um, yeah, it does kind of sound like that. Yeah, and I don't like necessarily think that there's something wrong with that. I mean, if you believe in. Like, last time we were on the show, we were talking about reincarnation and and how um, kind of hand-in-hand with that idea is, like, you getting to choose your situation in life before you're even born and what sort of challenges you face along the way. They call it challenges, you know, opportunities to learn, not necessarily traumas. Um, So it's just a different way to view it, but it's essentially saying the same thing, like, yeah, you chose this situation because you wanted to learn from it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, 
I mean, we could get into, you know, there could be a separate conversation around does trauma actually exist, right? Like if you go into Adlerian psychology, no, it does not. Right, right. Um, and we've discussed that, I think it was a few years back, actually. Yeah. 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 We talked uh, about that. Which is fascinating stuff to research. Like the work of, uh, was it Charles Adler? Um, did I get that right? Anyway, uh, one of the students of Freud, who went in a completely different direction than him or Jung, um, but Adlerian psychology is totally worth researching. Let me tell you a story about two people. As a child, John had a physical defect. It was a unique characteristic that made him stand out from his peers. Despite his efforts to fit in and be accepted, the other children targeted him for being different. They mocked and taunted him, making him feel like an outcast. The bullying John experienced at school took a toll on his self-esteem and confidence. He began to question his worth and struggled with feelings of loneliness. Feeling trapped and unable to escape the cycle of abuse, John withdrew from social interactions. He found solace in the digital world, where he could escape from the pain and rejection he faced in the real life. Video games became his refuge, providing a temporary escape from his harsh reality. With time, John's isolation grew deeper. He disconnected from society, losing faith in the possibility of meaningful relationships. Social media, although superficial connection, became his only form of interaction. He found himself mindlessly scrolling through endless feeds, comparing his life to others and feeling even more isolated. The weight of his emotional pain led John down a dark path. He started experiencing frequent thoughts of suicide, as this seemed like the only escape from his overwhelming despair. Each day became a struggle, and hope seemed distant and unattainable. This extended period of isolation and despair took a significant toll on John's mental health, shaping his outlook on life as he reached adult life. He became resigned to his circumstances, convinced that he was destined to be alone and rejected by others. Now, let's turn to Susan. Despite facing similar challenges to John, Susan's story took a different turn. Like John, Susan had a physical defect that distinguished her from her peers. Throughout her school years, Susan endured relentless bullying and found solace in her own company. She would spend most of her time alone, seeking refuge in books and creative pursuits. The isolation was difficult for her, but she held on to a glimmer of hope that someday things would change. As Susan grew older, her resilience and determination began to shine through. She focused on meeting new people through mutual interest. Throughout her involvement in artistic endeavors, she found a close-knit group of friends who appreciated her for who she was including her unique physical appearance. These newfound friends offered Susan a sense of belonging and acceptance that she had longed for. They saw beyond her physical appearance and embraced her for her genuine character and talents. With time, Susan's social circle expanded and she built strong, meaningful relationships that enriched her life. Additionally, Susan's journey also led her to find love. She entered into a happy romantic relationship with someone who appreciated her for her inner beauty and shared her interests. Their partnership provided her with love, support and a sense of emotional security. Susan's life took a positive trajectory and she began to thrive. Her experiences with bullying had shaped her resilience and empathy, allowing her to connect with others on a deep level. We all know similar stories from people in our own lives, some who overcome trauma, while others seem to remain trapped by it. How does this happen? Why do we witness such different outcomes? The answer to this question can be found in the psychology of Alfred Adler. Adler, one of three great psychoanalysts of the 20th century, alongside Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung, 
has often been overshadowed despite his highly influential works and ideas. Although he was once a close associate of Freud, Adler diverged from him due to his differing views on human psychology. So how were their views different? Well, let's just say that Adler did not fully subscribe to the concept of trauma. Here's what he said. No experience is inherently a cause of success or failure. We do not suffer from the shock of our experiences, commonly referred to as trauma. Instead, we make of them what aligns with our purposes. We are self-determined by the meaning we assign to our experiences, and it is likely that we make a mistake when we take specific experiences as the sole basis for our future lives. Meanings are not determined by situations. Rather, we determine ourselves by the meanings we give to situations. Adler's perspective challenges the notion that shock from traumatic experiences directly dictates our future. Instead, he highlights the significance of individual interpretation and the meaning we attach to our experiences in shaping our lives. Now let's delve back into the story of John and Susan. How did their adult lives turn out to be so radically different despite both of them enduring childhood bullying? Let's analyze John first. His initial social interactions with peers were painful, which gradually led him to develop a negative attitude towards the social environment, ultimately leading to a complete withdrawal. He created fear in his mind, a fear that stripped him of the ability to form meaningful social connections with his peers. He started to believe that people were inherently cruel, leading him to view the world through a black and white lens. On the other hand, Susan experienced the same painful experiences during her childhood, yet she developed a completely different mindset later in life, one that proved beneficial to her. Why did she develop a different attitude? It was because she ascribed a different meaning to those experiences. She decided to believe that the mistreatment she received from her peers was not a reflection of all people. Her thinking was, I need to find the right people. I may face hurt along the way, but eventually I will find them because they exist somewhere. John, on the other hand, believed that isolating himself was the solution. He held the belief that if he tried to find friends, he would inevitably get hurt because people are inherently cruel and it simply wasn't worth the effort. It was easier for John to adopt this kind of attitude because it allowed him to stay within the confines of his comfort zone. In essence, he lacked the courage to pursue happiness. Alfred Adler aptly stated, Courage is not an ability one either possesses or lacks. Courage is the willingness to engage in risk-taking behavior, regardless of whether the consequences are unknown or possibly adverse. We are capable of courageous behavior provided we are willing to engage in it. Adler also believed we use traumatic experiences for the achievement of our goals. John used his trauma for his goal, which was to avoid dealing with the outside world. Adler is not saying that horrible events from the past don't have any effect on the present. He is simply stating that we have more power over them than we usually think, and they do not necessarily define our future life. We all define our own lives according to the meaning we give to those past experiences. Adler was different from the other great psychoanalysists, in that he didn't focus on the causes of someone's unhappiness. Instead, he tried to figure out the purpose of someone's behavior that was making them unhappy. His focus was more on the present and the future rather than the past. He argued that human behavior could be explained teleologically as opposed to etiological explanations. Etiology deals with the study of causes or origins. On the other hand, teleology examines the purpose or finality of something. According to Adler's perspective, if John had a normal physical appearance and wasn't bullied in childhood, he would still try to find excuses to avoid people to some degree. 
Adler also posited that there are two primary ways people deal with their inferiorities in life, confronting the issue head-on or retreating into safeguarding behaviors. Individuals who choose the path of safeguarding behaviors, as in John's case, often develop beliefs that shield them from exposing themselves and potentially damaging their fragile self-esteem. This way, they can justify to themselves and others around them that there is nothing they can do about it and that it is out of their control. Those who completely withdraw from facing the challenge of overcoming their inferiorities tend to develop an inferiority complex. Adler emphasized that the feeling of inferiority is not a disease, it is rather a stimulant to healthy, normal striving and development. It becomes a pathological condition only when the sense of inadequacy overwhelms the individual and far from stimulating them to useful activity, makes them depressed and incapable of development. The contrasting attitudes and choices made by John and Susan showcase the significant impact of mindset and beliefs on one's trajectory in life. While John retreated and embraced a self-protective outlook, Susan chose to seek out to right connections, taking risks despite the potential for hurt. These differing approaches led to vastly different outcomes for both individuals. Understanding the role of mindset and courage in navigating life's challenges can empower individuals to pursue personal growth and build meaningful connections, even in the face of adversity. Uh, anyway, so, but yeah, like the idea that, oh, you manifested like this cop, this police officer into your life to pull you over while you were speeding or something like that. Um, you know, I'm just going to say it straight. No, there, there are people out there who are just assholes. They're called cops. And, <laughs> you know, then they pulled you over. And they're uh, trying to manifest a power trip for themselves. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so anyway, um, let's keep reading. Some say that there's no, quote unquote, right way to manifest, while others claim it won't work if you don't, quote, connect to the spiritual world, end quote, first. Uh, scripting can, and that's a process, scripting can either mean writing down your desire or writing down your desire precisely 33 times for three days and then finishing it with, quote, all this manifests and better, end quote, just in case the universe decides to send even more than what you asked for. Um, manifesting can also be surprisingly mathematical. There are special numbers associated with it. 1111 and 444 are quote-unquote angel numbers sent from the universe, as well as special sound frequencies uh, for manifesting specific wants. 528 hertz is the love frequency. Um, okay, I want to stop on that for a second. I want to, I want to stop here for a moment. So, okay. Uh yeah, scripting, you know, where you're writing it down and then, you know, do it for precisely 33 times for three days and then finishing it with you saying, quote, all this manifests and better, end quote. Um, this is one of the, this is one of the big problems with, with, with manifesting. Okay. <laughs> just, just, you know, I mean, part of why I wanted to cover this is I do want the house of cards to fall down. Like I do want to poke at it and show where, Okay, here's the reality, or here's where look, this just doesn't this doesn't fit, this doesn't make any sense, you know, and so on. Um, the general idea is that manifesting or what comes out of the New Thought movement goes all the way back. You know, one of the earliest things people like to point at is what's called the Emerald Tablet. Okay, which is the source of the, the very famous saying "As above, so below." Okay. The theory is that the Emerald Tablet was written by uh, by Toth, by, so it's ancient Egyptian. So that in it is at least thousands of years old. Okay. Um, 
and so there, but there's inherent problems with this. So if this all works by you speaking in English, a language that you could say, okay, is kind of based, it's Germanic and kind of based off of Latin, but that didn't exist thousands of years ago. Um, how could that possibly work, you know, today? Like if this concept of manifesting is ancient and is a way that the universe operates, perhaps even before humanity existed, um, you know, or is based upon Egyptian magic or whatever the basis happens to be. Bottom line is the basis is not something that was done in English. Oh, how, so, how do you know that that even matters, though? Ah, hmm. So that that's what if it's just the feeling, the intention that matters? Th that's exactly where I was going to go. The argument would be that, well, it doesn't matter about that. What matters is the intention that you are putting out there. Um, I would still argue that this creates an inherent problem. The inherent problem is that I've brought up a billion times is that English is a mercantile language. It is a language of trade. Okay. And that even if you believe that what you say and feel in manifesting matters, I would argue the language you do it in absolutely matters. And that, you know, like th these, we have this idea, you know, the concept of manifesting or of like calling out to the angels and using specific sigils or angel numbers and all this stuff, this is far from new. And it's even the new thought movement, it wasn't new then. We could go back to the concept of a, of a Faustian bargain right, of the story of Faust. Now, in that story, right, Faust, Dr. Faust makes a deal with the devil. He makes a deal with, again, and that's key word, he makes a deal with the devil. Mephistopheles. Yeah, Mephistopheles, right? Um, and when he does so, there's, there's a trade-off. Okay, you can have all of this in your life, but at the end, basically, I get your soul right? Or you're going to work for me, or you're going to be my servant when this is all said and done. Okay. Yeah. Mephistopheles doesn't say how he's going to give him what he wants or what's going to happen after he gets what he right. wants. Right. But the idea is, is that there's a deal that that is made. There's a bargain being done. Okay. Here's the inherent problem with that, because that is, you know, the, the story of Faust is really, you know, is is a is a tale, an, uh, an older tale, a centuries old tale, of of manifesting, okay, of, or, or of this idea of you know attracting in what what you want. The reason that there's a deal there in that story, my argument would be, is because the fucker's written in is written in a Germanic language, you know, it, it's written in a mindset of a language. That engage that believes in that is transactional in and of itself. When I say mercantile, that it means economic, right? It's trade. Like there is a bargain being made, even if it's barter or something along those lines. Whatever it happens to be, and I would argue that's all. That is in itself. Even if you believed in manifesting, that creates a problem itself. In that you are putting out there your intention in the universe. I mean, your internal thought process matters. You know, like your internal dialogue matters and you're automatically creating this transactional setup with the universe in doing this because you're doing it in English. So, okay, so if that's how you feel, then what do you think about all these people that are using manifesting just to get rich 
or to bring like physical objects into their lives. Well, I haven't gotten into like is manifesting even legit or not, you know. Because um, there's a lot of people that just want more money and they're right. trying to manifest it. Right, right. Uh, well, you know, there are, t- to the credit of some of these, you know, kind of new age, new thought, uh, or, you know, these woo-woo types who espouse manifesting, um, they'll, they'll bring up the point, the very fine point that, okay, you know, so you think about $50 million, right, being in your bank account or something, or you put up a check that says a million dollars, you know, like on your, like Jack Campbell would talk about this in The Secret, actually. He puts up a, you know, thing that's like, oh, I want I want a million dollars, or I want this, or whatever. Um, and so he puts up a check that says a million dollars to sign, you know, sign to him. Um, the thing is, like, if you're just thinking that, all you're thinking about is, is money, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're thinking about that you're going to make a million dollars, you might be thinking you're going to lose a million dollars or you might owe a million dollars. Um, and if you're thinking about money, money itself is nothing. Money isn't real, right? Like money is an agreement between two people. Okay. This is something, or at least two people. Okay. Right. It's a medium of exchange. So money would be, is a problem in itself. What you you know, the argument would be that some of the smarter people into manifesting would say is, no, think about, don't think about money. Think about what you want. Think about the physical thing that you want money to do, or think about what you want that money to do. Don't think about the money. And I think they're right in in bringing that up. Like, I mean, it's clever. Yes. um, But I think they're right to bring that up because that's ultimately getting at what you actually want. And it's visualizing, you know, how you want your life to be as compared to just like, Oh, I just want this money. And like, but, but again, money, what, it, what is money? You know, it's, as, it's, is that it's as abstract as language and anything else, you know, it doesn't really represent anything ultimately. I mean, the U S dollar, what is the U S dollar? It's nuclear weapons. That's all it is. You know, it doesn't have any actual value. Um, anyway, does that answer your question on that? Or do you have, do you have pushback? Yeah, I I guess I just wanted to know what you thought about that in regards to, like, the transactional mindset that Mm -hmm. people have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, because I can think of, and and look, you know, just to give a little background, I mean, uh, I did watch The Secret. Um, I'm super familiar with the New Thought Movement and the works of Ralph Waldo Emerson, uh, Napoleon Hill, Wallace D. Waddles, Charles Hannell, go down the list. I've read them all, all of them, okay? Okay. and, and even some of the modern people, like, uh, you know, like a happy pocket full of money, like books like that, that are more modern, um, they'll, they'll tell you in that to basically think, you know, in, in like put it out there, this idea and think, you know, uh, like the simplest manifestation you can do is I love money and money loves me. And you just keep repeating that. Okay. Um, now I, I kind of want to get into this idea of, you know, repetition, which actually plays off of a New Testament concept of pray without ceasing. Uh, Hopefully we'll get to that. But regardless, here's the thing if you do that. And let's say that that even worked. What that's basically saying is, you know, uh, I love money and money loves me. And so if you keep repeating that in your head, at least, you don't even have to say it, you will attract more money into your life. But that's not saying anything about how that money gets made. Because 
at the end of the day, you know, works, it's not just thoughts. Like money doesn't just appear. You're going to have to do something, whatever that happens to be. And okay. if your mind is on it more often, then you're going to make choices that lead to that more sure, often. Sure, sure. And yeah, and, 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 and we'll get to that. But okay, you love money and money loves you. And, you're, and let's say that that got you more money. But what is the process? You might have to work two jobs, three or four jobs. You know, you might have to veritably kill yourself. And oh yeah, oh that manifesting is working, but you're killing yourself for it. You know, as to where you know, if if you were to to buy into these rules, you would say, well, not you don't just say I love money and money loves me. You would append perhaps to that that money comes easily and freely to me. That way, you're saying, okay, but at least I don't have to work my ass off. Um, again, th this is all of this stuff is such a mess. Uh, but I think that again, when when you get if you if you want to be more have more precision in it, uh, or if you were going to make rules or think about it more, like I said, it falls apart very easily. But you know the appeal usually comes from some kind of historicity, not like it's a new thing. Uh, otherwise, I mean, if it's just a new thing, most people don't believe it anyway. Okay, um, but yeah, e English wasn't even a thing yet, so that that's just one point I really wanted to get out there. Uh, the numerology of it, like this idea of using angel numbers and everything. Um, I always have a problem with that just because honestly that gets into language itself, but that's a separate conversation that we'll get into. However, this idea of the love frequency of certain like, uh, like 528 Hertz or 432 Hertz and things like this. I think there might be something to that. 528 Hertz frequency has been determined to be nearly the precise center of the entire electromagnetic color spectrum. There's only one number, only one number in the entire numbering system, whereby the electromagnetic color spectrum is the same as the sound system. That one number is 528. Both the same in color and sound. 528 hertz frequency. A miraculous key that open doors that no man can close and close doors that no man can open. 528, it will change your life in the most beneficial way. And now we have substantive evidence, massive amounts of evidence that that is what 528 is. Ultimately, what has happened with this planet is that we are in dissonance to another note, another frequency. It turned out that when we discovered the original musical scale, there was not just six, but a total of nine core creative frequencies to the universe. That is, everything in the universe is made from nine notes, only nine. And that the first six are the sofeggio, and then there's three additional ones that form a perfect circle of sound. And that perfect circle of sound looks something like this. If you graph it. So the first six notes, 396-417-528-639-741-852, was the original solfeggio scale. The 528 that you can see on my left in green is the color green. It's the heart of the rainbow. That's the miracle note from the original solfeggio note, from the original solfeggio scale. And the other note that you see, 741, 
which is part of nature, is called the devil's interval in musicology. That when you play 7-4-1 with 5-2-8, it creates such an annoying and dissonant energy, dis-easing, stressful, that if you continue to listen to it, you could die. And so that the concept here is interesting. In the world today, we have people who are controlling virtually everything economically, geopolitically. Their agenda has been population manipulation, population control for millennia. They have held the secret knowledge, the ancient music, by which the pyramids were constructed based on the math. All of the universe is constructed according to these nine tones. They knew about them. In fact, they instituted it. In fact, it was the Rockefeller Foundation in 1939 that instituted the world's standard tuning. The Western world tunes to A440 Hertz frequency. That when you tune your instrument to that, the F sharp note is 741. Precisely. The a440 is what now is the standard tuning. If you go A439, you're closer to one of the creator's tones. If you go A441, you're closer to one of the creator's original tones. That's how precisely it has been manipulated. To do what? To shut down the 95% of your brain particularly the right brain that operates the heart-mind for the divine human community. Here is a metaphor so that you begin to understand what we're talking about. When you go driving your car and your channel on the radio is tuned to a station and you're grooving to the music, you love that music. As you get farther and farther away from the broadcasting tower, that music gets static. You start to lose the signal from the clear channel, broadcast, and it gets staticky. When it gets staticky, you get a little annoyed. But you want to listen to it. You really have a heart for that music. So you continue to listen to it for another 10, 15 miles, and suddenly it becomes so annoying that you just get disgusted. You go, ah, and you shut it off. And if you continue to listen to it, you get sick. That's what we're talking about here. Except you don't even know that you've been listening to the static your whole life. You don't even know what the true resonant frequency is because it has been kept from you. So in other words, the master composer, master conductor of the Universal Orchestra is singing love songs in 528, uplifting everything simultaneously. And we're the only species out of tune and accepting static for the clear channel. Dr. Masaru Emoto, he goes up on stage and he has a, a triangular, you know, a musical triangle that he hits, like in an orchestra. He's hitting it over here, he hits it, bing, and about 30 yards or 30 feet away is his interpreter standing here with the same exact a replica of that same size triangle. Frequency tuned to the same frequency. 
and he tells his interpreter to put a microphone next to it. And suddenly this one starts to resonate. He hits that one over there. This one starts resonating. How much of your body is full of water? They used to say when I was at Harvard School of Public Health, the truth was back then about 86%, 85%, 86% of your body, well hydrated, was water. Today they tell us it's only 75%. Hogwash, they've been dehydrating everybody with the poisons. 93% of the function of DNA is light and sound reception and transmission. Photon, phonon, Reception, transmission for intercellular communication and cellular upregulation. You know what cellular upregulation means? It means precipitation. In the now, 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 every millisecond, instant second, you're re-manifesting right now in water. Water is the most energy conductive of all of the materials. It's a superconductor. Let me give you the fundamental, the rudimentary origin of the numbers, here it is. The most important numbers, three sixes and nines. Again, Tesla said, Tesla, who created a Tesla coil. Tesla coils, energy amplifiers. Your DNA is an energy amplifier, a coil. Operating by the three sixes and nines, primarily. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you've probably looked at engines or motors magnets that have been wound with copper wire when you do that when you wind the copper coil the copper around the magnet it enhances the energy dramatically that's what your dna is it's an antenna to the creator every single cell of your body has this energy capability it has this divine intelligence what does that mean that means the first entities that you should be communing with in order to uplift yourself, sustain yourself, heal yourself, is the billions of cells in your body that have its own unique genetic intelligence, its own sacred spiral to the creator. And so this is the structure of the way that the universe operates, which does fabulous for us, our understanding of some of the most wonderful uh, pieces of information to may allow us to live a faithful life. A life according to the law, according to the matrix. Here is the simple way to analyze this. You've heard of what goes around, comes around. You've heard of, as you sow, so shall you reap. So this is explains it. Let's say that you're here and you are putting out negative thoughts, negative behaviors, negative actions, it's all energy. The neurology in your brain's powerful. 86% of you is God water. So now that's going out and it goes out and here's what happens. It goes out, it goes up, up and down. This is called the event horizon. You shoot down through the middle of the event horizon, which is the black hole, comes out and spins back around, ultimately comes right back. Bringing to you karma. Bringing to you divine judgment. It's all according to the mathematical matrix. It's certain, it doesn't lie, it's always consistent. There's nothing missing, nothing broken in it. So I'm going to keep reading here. 
there are manifesting adjacent emoji, the Nazar amulet, uh, which in many cultures, folklore is believed to ward off an evil eye as a favorite, um, and guides on how to create your own sigils, a personal motif often in uh, witchcraft. The whole thing can uh, feel vaguely Christian at times, the angels for one, and at others, uh, and at others by uh, deemed demonic, uh, for example, witchcraft. Like many New Agey uh, practices, manifesting comes with a fair share of paradoxes where if you think about it too hard, none of it makes any sense. And yes, or and yet its ideas have stood the test of time. The law of attraction, the belief that all your thoughts eventually become things, and if you think positively, positive things will come to you, has existed since the New Thought spiritual movement of the 19th century. Um, anyway, that, at this point, they, they get into all that, uh, you know, about... The new thought movement and, and everything. Um, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. Uh, witchcraft, for example, has also enjoyed a renaissance in the social media age, extending beyond the boundaries of neo-pagan Wicca and becoming more open to individual interpretation and practices. For better or worse, it's also become more mainstream. Earlier this summer, witches on TikTok circulated a rumor that quote-unquote baby or inexperienced witches were casting hexes on the moon and corporatized urban outfitters and sephora and other retail chains have received backlash in recent years for attempting to sell one-size-fits-all occult products that appropriate spiritual beliefs from indigenous cultures um anyway you can kind of stop on a lot of that the point is this is like a thing this is out there people are buying into it metaphorically literally even um it's all over the place now you and i recently ellen you know we've gotten on instagram uh i mean it's been months now but but fairly recently um and i mean i'm seeing this stuff all the time uh you know th this like oh i'm 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 manifesting this era of my life i'm manifesting this and type yes if you want to you know, have $20,000 magically appear in your life right. and, and all this jazz. I mean, it's just, it, it's all over the place. And, um, I mean, I'll admit as somebody who has been studying Kabbalah almost his entire life, uh, and has researched, shall we say the occult, the esoteric, the mystical for almost as long, um, seeing all this stuff take hold, I mean, these people. So many of these people, I feel, are just they're, they're clever salespeople. You know, they're they're absolutely full of shit. Yeah. Um, akin to what we were saying earlier about you know, like the speed at which you take in information. Um, you know, like what we were talking about with how not to age. Uh, you know, these are things that even if you believe that they're real, like these varying spells or manifestations or creating sigils and all this stuff. This is stuff that the people that invented this shit, whether it was decades ago or centuries ago, spent their whole lives perfecting and, and like getting to the point that we could even read books about it on. And those books are not short, by the way. You know, like, like this is not something that you can just go on Instagram or TikTok or wherever and suddenly, ooh, I'm a magician or ooh, I'm a witch. Or, ooh, I'm this, you know, like this is stuff that takes years at least of research and putting in the time. Um, and I have even more points kind of beyond that. But what do you have on anything that that's been shared or said so far? Yeah, I agree. I, I think essentially what you're saying is that there's 
if you genuinely want to manifest something in your life, it takes more than just thinking positive thoughts over and right. over again. Right. And and I agree with that. Um, and anything that could even be roughly considered magic or witchcraft, it's not just like reading a spell. There's mm-hmm. a lot more to it than that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, totally. Um, did you want to get into, earlier you were talking about manifesting and you said but you had to put in the work and then there was a point beyond that did you want to get into that here do you recall what that was yeah i can i can go into it now sure Um, so what i meant when i said that um you know i was working hard towards this goal that i had Mm -hmm. but in a way i was also manifesting i just didn't really know it um i spent you know, so many years of my life just working towards this goal of, you know, becoming a scientist. Mm-hmm. That is what my, you know, lifelong, uh, like if I achieved that, I would have done the thing, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like, like I would have fulfilled my ambition. And the whole time that I was putting in all of this hard work to achieve that goal, Um, I was also, in a sense, you know, manifesting because um, there was there's a lot of thinking and focusing and just like not giving up. And in the end, even after I, you know, graduated and got my degree, things started to happen to me like very quickly, very easily. Like and I was ready for it. I was open to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I guess what I mean by that is that I, you know, I spent long enough kind of building my life around this, you know, becoming sure. a scientist. And it takes more than just getting your degree to become one. Like, you also have to, like, get into the field afterwards. Yes. And, you know, the opportunities that I was searching for, um, I found more than I more than I expected. Right. Um, and I think that was kind of a bit of luck, mm-hmm. but I, I feel like maybe there was something there of, you know, sort sort of along the lines of law of attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was like, I, I spent the time telling the universe, like, this is what I want and showing by all of the hard work that I put in. Right. And then once I finally got to a certain point, all of that came back to benefit me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, but you had to put in the work, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. So here's here's where I want to I want to kind of get in on this and try and bring some. Even though you know, a lot of people listening to this right now might think, "Holy look, this is all bullshit," you know. And you know, coming from a hardcore atheist scientific materialist perspective or something along those lines. And hey, I get you. Like, I, like I, I hear you, I know where you're coming from, and I also respect your opinion, you know, on, on the matter. But I, I, I want to I try and bring some, reality might be the wrong word, but I'm going to say it. I want to try and bring some reality to all this. Because here's the thing, I do think, okay, that manifesting in, the, perhaps more in the sense that you're talking about, Ellen, I do think it's a thing. Okay. There is no such thing as manifesting that you type out, or if you say this or think that or whatever, that suddenly, boom, 
you know, in, in no time and, and with no effort whatsoever on your part, other than typing something or writing something or thinking something, something, you know, that that thing suddenly comes into your life. It just does not work that way. Okay. Um, and why people, I think, feel that that makes sense and why people today feel that that's how it works and uh, that they're willing to try it. Well, for one, they're willing to try it because it comes at almost zero lift. Like there's no cost involved. But the other thing somewhat, I think, comes down to a certain... Uh, they, they have bought into other people's visions other people's lifestyle obsessions, not their own. It's not coming from within themselves. It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's an external lifestyle obsession. And I think uh, there, there's a degree, I, I don't like using this term, but I'm going to use it. There's a degree of entitlement. You know, I, I, I think that, that some people feel that, no, I should just automatically have this or that, or I deserve this or that. Um, and, you know, again, th that's just, that's not how this works. This is one of the most interesting reads I've come across. It's rather complex and takes a while to digest, but it's 100% worth it. It's an official declassified CIA document and a terrific analysis of consciousness and beyond, known as the Gateway Process. While it's an older document and has been declassified for a while now, the fact that modern developments in science, quantum physics, psychedelics, and neurobiology confirm what's written within those pages is nothing short of outstanding. It explains consciousness in a profound and analytical way and merges knowledge from mystics from Hindu, Buddhist, and Tibetan cultures to contemporary scientific knowledge of Planck distance, Einstein's theory of relativity, and the works of Niels Bohr. The cosmic spiral and Taurus is everything, and everything is one. It seems as though individual consciousness is pulled from the collective consciousness using the frequency vibrations of the being. This applies to humans, whales, fungus, and amoeba. Mystics of past and present, including all ancient religions, understood these concepts thousands of years ago. Still, it takes much to open the minds of the most pragmatic, self-conscious, and uptight people. Eleven, consciousness and energy. Before our explanation can proceed any further, it is essential to define the mechanism by which the human mind exercises the function known as consciousness, and to describe the way in which that consciousness operates to deduce meaning from the stimuli which it receives. To do this, we will first consider the fundamental character of the material world in which we have our physical existence, in order to accurately perceive the raw stuff with which our consciousness must work. The first point which needs to be made is that the two terms, matter and energy, tend to be misleading if taken to indicate two distinctly different states of existence in the physical world that we know it. Indeed, if the term matter is taken to mean solid substance as opposed to energy, which is understood to mean a force of some sort, then the use of the former is entirely misleading. Science now knows that both the electrons which spin in the energy field located around the nucleus of the atom and the nucleus itself are made up of nothing more than oscillating energy grids. Solid matter, in the strict construction of the term, simply does not exist. 
Rather, atomic structure is composed of oscillating energy grids surrounded by other oscillating energy grids, which orbit at extraordinarily high speeds. In his book, Stalking the Wild Pendulum, Itzhak Bentov gives the following figures. The energy grid, which composes the nucleus of the atom, vibrates at approximately 1,022 hertz, which means 10 followed by 22 zeros. At 70 degrees Fahrenheit, an atom oscillates at the rate of 1,015 hertz. An entire molecule composed of a number of atoms bound together in a single energy field vibrates in the range of 109 hertz. A live human cell vibrates at approximately 103 hertz. The point to be made is that the entire human being, brain, consciousness, and all is like the universe which surrounds him, nothing more or less than an extraordinarily complex system of energy fields. The so-called states of matter are actually variances in the state of energy, and human consciousness is a function of the interaction of energy in two opposite states, motion versus rest, in a manner described in the following paragraph. 12. Holograms Energy creates, stores, and retrieves meaning in the universe by projecting or expanding at certain frequencies in a three-dimensional mode that creates a living pattern called a hologram. The concept of the hologram can be most easily understood by using an example cited by Bentov, in which he asks the reader to visualize a bowl full of water into which three pebbles are dropped. As the ripples created by the simultaneous entry of the three pebbles radiate outward towards the rim of the bowl, Bentov further asks the reader to visualize that the surface of the water is suddenly flash-frozen, so that the ripple pattern is preserved instantly. The ice is removed, leaving the three pebbles still laying at the bottom of the bowl. Then the ice is exposed to a powerful, coherent source of light, such as a laser. The result will be a three-dimensional model or representation of the position of the three pebbles suspended in mid-air. Holograms are capable of encoding so much detail that, for example, it is possible to take a holographic projection of a glass of swamp water and view it under magnification to see small organisms not visible to the naked eye when the glass of water itself is examined. The whole concept of holography, despite its scientific implications, has only been known to physicists since the underlying mathematical principles were worked out by Dennis Gabor in 1947. He later won a Nobel Prize for his work. Laboratory demonstration of Gabor's work only occurred years later following the invention of the laser, as biologist Lyle Watson explains. The purest kind of light available to us is that produced by a laser which sends out a beam in which all the waves are of one frequency, like those made by an ideal pebble in a perfect pond. When two laser beams touch, they produce an interference pattern of light and dark ripples that can be recorded on a photographic plate. And if one of the beams, instead of coming directly from the laser, is reflected first off an object such as a human face, the resulting pattern will be very complex indeed, but it can still be recorded. The record will be a hologram of the face. 13. The part encodes the whole. Of further importance is the fact that even if we dropped our frozen hologram of the ripple pattern on the floor and broke it into a number of pieces, each individual piece would recreate the entire holographic image all by itself. 
The smaller the piece, the fuzzier and more distorted would be the resulting holographic projection. But the fact remains that a whole projection would nonetheless be made. The key to creating any hologram is that the energy in motion must interact with energy in a state of rest, or non-motion. In the foregoing example, the pebbles represent energy in motion, while the water, before its agitation by the pebbles, represents the energy at a state of rest. To activate, or in effect, to perceive the meaning of a holograph, energy, in this case a coherent light source such as a laser beam, must be passed through the interference pattern generated by the interaction between the moving energy and the energy at rest. In the simple example given by Bentov, this requirement was fulfilled by holding the frozen interference pattern in front of the coherent light to project the three-dimensional holographic image, its meaning, into space. As Marilyn Ferguson, editor of the Brain Mind Bulletin, tells us, another feature of a hologram is its efficiency. Billions of bits of information can be stored in a tiny space. The pattern of the holographic photograph is stored everywhere on the plate. 14. The Consciousness Matrix The universe is composed of interacting energy fields, some at rest and some in motion. It is, in and of itself, one gigantic hologram of unbelievable complexity. According to the theories of Carl Pribram, a neuroscientist at Stanford University, and David Bohm, a physicist at the University of London, the human mind is also a hologram which attunes itself to the universal hologram by the medium of energy exchange, thereby deducing meaning and achieving the state which we call consciousness. With respect to states of expanded or altered consciousness, such as gateway uses, the process operates in the following way. As energy passes through various aspects of the universal hologram and is perceived by the electrostatic fields which comprise the human mind, the holographic images being conveyed are projected upon those electrostatic fields of the mind and are perceived or understood to the extent that the electrostatic field is operating at a frequency and amplitude that can harmonize with and therefore read the energy carrier wave pattern passing through it. Changes in the frequency and amplitude of the electrostatic field which comprises the human mind determine the configuration and hence the character of the holographic energy matrix, which the mind projects to intercept meaning directly from the holographic transmissions of the universe. Then, to make sense of what the holographic image is saying to it, the mind proceeds to compare the image just received with itself. Specifically, it does this by comparing the image received with that part of its own hologram, which constitutes memory. By registering differences in geometric form and in energy frequency, the consciousness perceives. As psychologist Keith Floyd puts it, contrary to what everyone knows is so, it may not be the brain that produces consciousness, but rather consciousness that creates the appearance of the brain. 15. Brain in Phase The consciousness process is most easily envisaged if we picture the holographic input with a three-dimensional grid system superimposed over it, such that all of the energy patterns contained within can be described in terms of three-dimensional geometry using mathematics to reduce the data to the two-dimensional form. Bentov states that scientists suspect that the human mind operates on a simple binary go-no-go no -go system, as do all digital computers. 
Therefore, once it superimposes a three-dimensional matrix over holographic information it wishes to interpret, and reduces that information mathematically to two-dimensional form, it can completely process it using its fundamental binary system, just as any computer made by the hand of man can process volumes of data and make various comparisons between the data and information stored in its digital memory. Our minds operate in the same way, perceiving by comparison only. Bentov states the proposition this way, our whole reality is constructed by constantly making such comparisons. Whenever we perceive something, we always perceive differences only. In states of expanded consciousness, the right hemisphere of the human brain in its holistic, non-linear, and non-verbal mode of functioning acts as the primary matrix or receptor for this holographic input, while by operating in phase or coherence with the right brain, the left hemisphere provides the secondary matrix through its binary, computer-like method of functioning to screen further the data by comparison and reduce it to a discrete, two-dimensional form. 16. Evaluation To the extent that Gateway succeeds in bringing about a refinement in the energy matrix of the mind, it succeeds in expanding or altering human consciousness so that it can perceive without recourse to the intercession of the physical senses, such that ever more of the universal hologram, not, of course, accessible by sense perception, can ultimately be perceived and understood. Marilyn Ferguson has written that the theories of Pribram and Bohm appear to account for all transcendental experience, paranormal events, and even normal perceptual oddities. She goes on to say of Pribram, Currently, he is proposing a startling, all-encompassing model that is generating considerable excitement among those intrigued by the mysteries of human consciousness. His holographic model marries brain research to theoretical physics, it accounts for normal perception and simultaneously takes the paranormal and transcendental experiences out of the supernatural by explaining them as a part of nature. Like certain strange discoveries of quantum physics, the radical reorientation of this theory suddenly makes sense of paradoxical sayings of mystics throughout the ages. 17. Self-Cognition to complete our outline of the process by which the mind achieves and exercises consciousness, we must also describe the mechanism which accounts for the aspect of human thought that differentiates it from the consciousness of plants or animals, i.e. self-cognition. Humans not only know, but they know what they know. They are able to monitor the process of their own thinking and maintain an awareness of it. Moreover, they can conduct a comparative assessment, evaluating the functioning of their thought processes against various objective standards they have adopted. Human consciousness can do this because it has the capacity to duplicate aspects of its own hologram, project them out, perceive that projection, put it through comparison with the memory aspect, where its evaluation standards of measure are stored, of its own hologram, and measure or sense the difference using three-dimensional geometry and then binary go-no-go no go pulse to yield verbal cognition about the self. You know, I'm a big fan of one of the, you know, major proponents of this idea, that being Charles Hanel, who wrote The Master Key System, which I think is one of the greatest books ever written. Um, in that, he talks about how there is a substance that exists throughout universe. Okay, it is a substance, and your thoughts actually control this substance. 
that exists between you and other objects. Okay, and that your thought process will mold that substance into a direction uh, of, and this is where it's, it's different, because it's not saying that you are forming, like that, that your thoughts are somehow molding the formless void into a thing. Like you think about a cup. You have a very specific cup that you want. He's not saying, Charles Handel isn't saying you think about it and then the formless substance will turn into that cup. What he's saying is, is that your intention is going out there and the formless, formless substance is like the wind. It's like this current. And it will start to move things more towards your direction. It doesn't become the thing. It just moves things you know, somewhat in, in that direction. Okay. Um, and that's a very different thing. And this is where, this is the problem with the secret and a lot of this like pop manifestation stuff, if I'm to call it that, is it's missing the work that has to get done. And it has a fundamental misunderstanding of what the original New Thought leaders were really talking about. Is they were not saying that you create the thing. It was saying that you were kind of moving things in that direction or making, making your environment more amenable to allow for that. But that includes getting in the work. Do you have thoughts? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like having the wind at your back yeah. instead of like going against the current. Yes, exactly. In fact, that's beautiful that you said that. That's one of the most ancient, uh, in fact, that's an ancient Egyptian saying, may the winds be at our backs. Um, and I think that comes out of, of all things, the Emerald Tablet, which, by the way, you did a tremendous reading of the Emerald Tablet. Thank you. People can go to audiotheancients.xyz and get a copy of that. This was years ago that you did that. Um, but in these, in these, you know, kind of, and, and, and yeah, like the Emerald Tablet gets into alchemy and all that stuff. Look, there's a lot of truth, in my opinion, in all of that. Okay. There's a lot of bullshit extrapolations from it, but there's a lot of truth in this stuff. But yeah, you, you hit it exactly. That, that is how it goes. But this is, again, this is really what I think a lot of people are missing is that you have to put in the work. And there's another point that I want to get into, but I do want to talk about putting in that work in some way, like, and, and, and something else that I think is becoming popular again would be, uh, the concept of Gnosticism. One of my biggest problems with the concept of Gnosticism is that, oh, there's this demiurge out there. There's this God or, you know, Satan, whatever you want to call him. And he's, he's really the reason that life sucks. He's really the re he created all the bad things. He's the reason that there's like all these terrible things. It's not your fault. So effectively the Gnostics would say, and I think that <sighs> there's a lot of other ideologies out there that do this. They basically argue it's not your fault when I would say, and not just me, but, you know, other, other, uh, shall we say ideological lineages and certainly magical ones or mystical ones, esoteric ones would say, no, it, it is your fault. Now, yes, there are, but there are other individuals out there. It's not like, I mean, and this, this gets into one of my biggest problems with manifesting it effectively, and maybe we got into this last time, uh, in the last summer tech X, but it effectively treats everything and everyone else like an NPC. 
you know, we, we, we kind of talked about that in the last Sovereign Tech X. Yeah, and you're saying that's not realistic, right? Because right. everybody has their own willpower. Exactly. Yeah, but you think that all the resources, all these things around you are just there for you once you figure out how to manifest it. It's there to be there for your pleasure. And look, that's just, that's not how this works, you know? And so one of the points I kind of want to get at is I'm not surprised that manifesting is having a moment, as it were, in, you know, in 2023, is having a moment on the internet because the internet makes everything seem like an NPC to you. The internet does not reflect reality. It makes everybody seem like, oh, yeah, that person's just a like. That person's just a comment, you know, It makes you feel more like the center of the universe. Exactly, exactly. And that is a core problem with this concept of manifesting. And And one of the main things I wanted to get at. And this speaks to sort of what I was starting to hint at with like using the English language. You know, there's the old saying, the uh the medium is the message or the message is medium however that goes but the idea that okay yeah this idea seems to make sense to you because of the platform that you're on you know sure you're on instagram so you're think you know like like none of none of this is real none of these people are actually real they don't have their own agency they're just something that you view you know through the lens or should I say the glass of your smartphone or your computer or whatever. Okay. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people are missing is they don't understand that, you know, they see these things happening. They think that the stuff's coming into their life, but a lot of times it's just, it's all online. And again, uh, you know, the algorithm in its own way, ironically, algorithms do work in a way akin to what actual, magical or mystical practice would where you're putting your impressions you know out into the universe your intentions of what you want you know the algorithms kind of operate similarly um, but you don't really control the algorithm more the algorithm just reacts to what you're putting out there yeah and the the algorithms aren't all-encompassing like the literal universe yeah right exactly it's it's much smaller scale and mm-hmm. at the end of the day honestly the algorithm's controlling you because it has set parameters that it won't let you go beyond, you know, as to where maybe with the universe might be a little bit different, but regardless. Um, so, so that this is a pretty key point to bring up is that you cannot manifest things when you hold no actual value in them. You know, like, I mean, like that just, that that's not how that works. Conversely, Also, if you don't value yourself, like this speaks to the work you were talking about putting in earlier, Ellen. If you don't value yourself, and I think a lot of us, and this is why I think this idea that, oh, if you just think it in your mind, it's going to happen. No, I think people tell each, tell themselves lies all day long. You know, lies of their, of how they feel about themselves, of their own value. Oh yeah. Or how they feel about other people that they keep in their lives. Right even though they might not be the best. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And we all have challenges with this. You know, no one's claiming to be perfect here. Okay. But this is one of the biggest things. It's like, oh, well, I want, I want this car or I want this kind of gal in my life. You know, it's like, oh, I I want this, I want this perfect 10 woman, 
you know, to fall in love with me and I want all this jazz and, you know, I deserve it. And why not? I'm great. I'm this and that. It's like, well, you might be telling yourself that, but are you? Have you looked in the mirror? Have you gotten a second opinion? Do you actually believe that? Right. Well, that that's it. That's really it, is, is do you actually believe what you're saying? Because that's the thing. Again, in our internal dialogue, we can say all kinds of bullshit. And, you know, I, like I think you were on earlier about your point that, like, well, what do you actually feel? What, do you, what are your actual intents? Here's the thing. Feelings, emotions that we have, we have names for them, ironically, in English. You know, things like fear love i mean those are a couple of big ones but of course even those have millions of subcategories right okay but ultimately emotions like we just append words to them okay like but they're they're those words are are they're they shadows they can't capture the full no. experience right right and so this is a very key thing to get is that all of this stuff, everything really that we've been talking about here is something that exists beyond language. Okay. And you need to like having, okay. For, for example, uh, you know, if you want to attract, if you were wanting to tr attract certain things in your life here, I I'm giving very conventional examples here. Okay. Like there's this idea, everybody has heard it, you know, BDE, right? Big Dick energy. Okay. Like, Oh, he has that big dick energy. You know, what does that mean? Okay, that means he has a... I mean, the, the, the popular concept behind this, people might think, what the, why are you bringing this up? No, let's talk about it. The popular concept is, okay, the dude has a big dick. He recognizes that in Western civilization, that means something, like that has some kind of value or some kind of rarity. And so he has a confidence that he walks with. Okay, but here's the thing. All of that is unconscious, Right? Right. I mean, all of that developed unconsciously. Like, okay, maybe he is in some way aware that there's a value, a perceived value anyway, in having a big dick or something like this. But ultimately, that energy, which is a fine word to use for it, is something that is completely unconscious. There are no words for it. Because it influences every action. Yes. It's something that you can infer based on the way someone behaves. Yes. 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 But it's not like they go up to people and say it yeah right right and or it's not like and hopefully not or they're probably in jail you know they just pull it out you know yeah. <laughs> like look they don't have to repeat it to themselves no right right because it's it's an it's a firmly held belief yes 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 so and that's the point you have to get to there's no language for that there's nothing in the english i mean for fuck's sake we have to use like these three words of and of big dick energy to explain what this sensation is it has nothing really to do with his dick his big dick isn't going to get him the job well, i mean well depends i suppose but you know what i mean it's not that it, it's i mean some industries i've worked in that'll get you a job but anyway it's about the confidence Okay, but what is that, even that confidence, what does it come from? It, it is this, it, it's this uh, uh, um, ineffable thing. Okay. It's, yeah, it's feeling that you are worthy to have whatever right. experience right. or benefit. Right. And, and to really be able to, like, fulfill whatever needs are there. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so this is, this is what's so difficult about all of this to understand, is that if there are things 
that you want in your life, there are changes that you want in your life, they come down to you having more direct control over your, I don't want to just say your unconscious, because what even is that? Okay, but it is about understanding that there aren't words for it, that many things are just a means to an end, that there is work that has to get done. Yeah, you but still that, have to prove that you can do it. Yeah, right, right. But that work comes, that work is an action. And actions, in many ways, as well as sensations, are things that are beyond words. Okay. And so, I'm hopefully, I'm... I'm trying to bring all of this together to where it makes some kind of sense but the bottom line being is that if manifesting or the one of the bottom lines i want to get to is that if manifesting seems to make sense to you online that's because it does make sense through the platform that you're on but that platform is not the universe and it doesn't represent the universe it's not real life um and so for all the people who say oh yeah yeah this did this or that and like, did I just manifest Captain crawling all over my desk right now? <laughs> I might have. Sorry, well, you, I, I reached out to him. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's wondering why aren't we petting him. Anyway, <laughs> I'll give him some. <laughs> and now he's going, or, okay, going nicely into your arms. Um, yeah, but th this, again, this is the thing that, that, that people don't get. And that feeling or that actually valuing yourself to where a lot of this could even say come into your life is something that goes beyond words you can tell yourself all day long i'm amazing i'm amazing i'm amazing but if you're not you're not yeah you got to back it up yeah you've got to back it up you know and it's okay like it's just and it's a lot of hard work it is it, it is it's really a lot of hard work and it can take years but just be fucking patient so yeah, it took me like 10 years to get to where i am sure right you know but you and you got to be willing to put in that time and i think another you know kind of a side problem to that is that people think that there's always very little time and i would argue that's not true like no you have all the time in the world yeah yeah you might actually literally have all the time in the world um it's all your time to do with as you please yeah right right um, so there's some other subjects I could get into with this, uh, but again, a lot of these things, and this goes even beyond manifesting. A lot of it comes down to is that it's, it's literally, it's an internet trope, but that's because it makes sense on the internet, not because it's how it works in real life. But I could spend a ton of time saying like, okay, you know, like, yeah, pick out this line from the secret or people who talk about manifesting and all this stuff. And like, I would, you know, I could go, well, no, you know, based upon the person that invented that, this is what they meant and all this. And, and I could probably, you know, after talking about it even now, just for 40 minutes or so, you know, I could spend two, three hours doing that. And, you know, maybe I should do a live show. And, yeah. And maybe you should, love it. you know, do a whole separate show about manifestation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it's crap. Pay attention to the fact that it, like, if, again, if it looks like it's working, it's part, I mean, this is another thing, like synchronicity, okay? Now, there's synchronicities, you know, this is a completely separate subject, but there's synchronicities that 
sure, you see them and you go, wow, that is wildly coincidental. I mean, one of the big things for people to, to that I think they miss. I'm not saying I'm not saying synchronicities don't exist, but also we we do exist in a time when information just we're just flooded. I mean, it's everywhere. It's all over the place. And so the chances of any random thought you have, especially in the, your native tongue, whatever that happens to be, you know, and you're in that land where that tongue is dominant, um, you know, like synchronicities and things like that happening are exceptionally high now, higher than they've ever been before. So do you notice them more? Sure. Is that like because we live in the matrix? No, it's because we're just awash in nonstop content, in nonstop info, in nonstop you know, everything around you. That doesn't mean that, that this stuff doesn't happen. I'm just saying that, you know, the medium is the message. And I think people forget that. And it's f so, f so much more true today than it's ever been. Um, so anyway, okay. Probably do a separate episode about, maybe I would do a whole episode about manifesting. That might be interesting. Now, another thing that we teased, we don't have to do it. We can just go into talking about Aquaman. <laughs> have some fun but another thing that we teased in the last episode was you said to me it's like we should have a conversation about all the problems with the jedi in star wars oh man that's a big conversation it is we don't have to get we'll save maybe we'll save that for next time um because i think that also gets into debunking a lot of these cultural ideas of what works, what's right and wrong, you know, that ironically play into concepts like manifesting, really, um, that I think are worthwhile talking about. Uh, we have lots of subjects we can get into. Maybe we should do some of those for the new show. But regardless, so we got manifesting out there. Do you have, do you have like a final statement you want to make on, on, on manifesting? Like, how do you feel when you see people, say, on Instagram, like talking about it? What comes up for you? Oh, I just think it sounds... How do I put this? Like, superficial? Yeah, superficial. Superfluous. 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 It's late at night, folks. Super fluffy. Super fluffy. Superfluous. That's the word I was trying to get out. Yeah, it just sounds like made up to me. It just sounds like people are imagining things and wishing that they were real. And if they just, like, talk about it enough and make it sound real, then maybe it will be. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I don't necessarily have a problem with people fooling themselves into thinking that something is true. But it doesn't mean the rest of us have to be fooled into it. Yeah. Um, it just... I think it's a way for people to sound more confident and more successful than they are. It's yep. just another sales tactic. Um you know, for people to make themselves look better online. And whatever, that's fine, I guess. Do what you want to. But um, I I don't buy into it at all. I, I don't subscribe to that type of thinking. And anytime I hear somebody saying that, like, they manifested something in their lives mm -hmm. just by thinking about it or writing about it, um, yeah, that's crap. Yeah, a point I didn't get to in that Vox story at the end of it is like psychologists are basically responding to it. They're like, no, this isn't real. But, you know, if it makes you feel better, if it makes you happy, okay, that's good. Mm -hmm. um, right. And I get that to a point. But then at the same time, like, 
how much fantasy can you live in right in your own life like right you have to still remain connected to reality mm-hmm. and there is a way that you could take this quote-unquote manifestation to such a level that you become completely disconnected with reality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, just thinking that things are going to come to you and things are going to happen to you, um, you know, expecting that to happen and not doing anything to make it so, um, yeah, you could get yourself into a lot of trouble that way. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I think because I feel like the the aftershocks... And maybe that's the best word to use. The aftershocks of this is it's creating a bunch of self-centered fucks yeah. for one. Okay. Because again, they think everything just exists to be the, the, the plaything of their thought processes, which is fucking horseshit. Okay. Um, you know, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I want to attract this other person into my life. Oh, you know, yeah. So clearly you're going to bring an amazing person into your life. Because you have so much self-respect for them when you're just playing them like a puppeteer in your mind. Like, that, like what kind of self-respect is that? Or what kind of respect for that other person is, is there? And why would you get a great person? I would argue a great person would be someone who has self-respect uh, if they're just somebody who, you know, who, who gets played by the strings. I mean, this is just... Yeah. It's, it's not even a matter of logic. Just, just, the, 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 just the circular thinking. I mean, it's just it's nuts. You know, so it creates self-centeredness, but also I, I feel like it completely, it's not that it detaches you from the, re- the objective reality around you, because nothing can really do that. If you're going to get hit by a truck, you get hit by a truck, because that truck's fucking real, okay? Um, but it it makes you delusional, self-delusional, and that that is a whole other problem, you know? Uh, so, anyway... I, yeah, yeah, very worried about this trend on the internet. And again, it really, I think it only works because of the fact that it's the internet that, you know, the, and social media particularly is being transmitted by. Yeah, so, and, and I'm a really big believer in harmony, like sure. living in harmony with our reality. Yes. Um, and that extends to the universe as a whole. Right. Because that is ultimately what nature is. Right. Um, And in order to have a harmonious existence you know you have to work with the universe and it kind of goes back to conversations that you've had in the past about being part of this co-creative process with the universe like yes you you can manifest certain things but you also have to um, help out the universe by doing whatever amount of work on your part yeah yeah well it comes down to again it's respecting yourself and when you genuinely respect yourself, you automatically respect others. Like you really do. Uh, I, I think it, it, it just happens. And not just others, but also your surroundings. Animals. Blades of grass, even. You know, all of these things. And, yeah, like then when you have that respect, are, you know, are things going to come into your life? Yeah, probably. Yeah, we're <laughs> born into this really harsh universe. And... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of challenges that we face, even Mm -hmm. just basic survival. Maybe not as many now because Mm -hmm. we live in a world that is, uh, you know, that cushions a lot of the harshness of natural Mm -hmm. reality. But, you know, I mean, historically throughout our lives, we face a lot of challenges and learn to respect nature. 
Yeah. You know, like everybody knows how dangerous Mother Nature can be. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, through those challenges, learning that we can face those challenges successfully and come out as stronger, better people, mm-hmm. um, we grow to respect ourselves as well. Yeah, yeah. And and I just, I think that, I think that level of respect deflects negativity, you know, or it doesn't invite it as much. So anyway, that's that. <laughs> We're closing that subject for <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, I think okay. I think that's good for now. But yeah, I just I see this. I I I go. You know, when I see it, I I'm livid. You know, uh, like what what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, and, my eyes glaze over. Yeah, I, just, I can't even listen to it. Yeah, and and I hate it too because I work in PR and like and I I know I know a PR campaign when I see one, and I know what's beyond those PR campaign or what's behind those PR campaigns, and I know that these people these people aren't real. Like, you know, and it's one of the things I've really come to hate the internet for is that you can fake it so hard. People were faking it before, I know. But, like, now anybody can fucking fake it. And, I mean, we we have such a fucked up... I mean, we're recording this. What's today? Today, January 6th? January 6th. You want to talk about a moment in time that has a skew... Like... so, well, what was it? Two years ago now? Yeah, are we it's, on the it's second the, year anniversary? The anniversary of, of the insurrection. <laughs> the insurrection of the White House, where a bunch of people um, got together thinking they were going to create some revolution. Yeah, and all they really managed to do was like invade the White House, mess up or a few Congress. desks. Yeah, like they walked through Congress. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, not the White House, but yeah, mess up a few desks. Yeah. Um, take some pictures yep and and then they left <laughs> they it's like up. you didn't even do anything I love- because they <laughs> didn't have a goal in mind no but i mean but this is this and yeah look this was happening before the internet like you know you could a great television producer could frame anything any way they wanted and project something as reality any way they wanted with limited footage right but like this is one of those situations where there is this widespread belief that some kind of terrible, horrible, even violent event occurred two years ago on January 6th when, man, nothing happened. It was it's so <laughs> funny to think about it. Like, oh, it's such a big deal. But, like, it's just a crowd of people went into a place they shouldn't have. Yeah. Even then, like, well, are they American citizens? And if we were to play by, you know, these conventional rules of, of citizenry, no, they should be able to walk through there. They should be able to go through those desks because last time I checked, those people were supposed, you know, that being They're Congress printers, were supposed to be representing those very people. Yeah. Um, th- this, you know, I mean, oh boy, like this, this, I mean, I, it's actually what got me kicked off of Twitter because I shared the picture at the time, like they banned my account because I shared a picture of like all these representatives or whatever cowering behind their their their, their desks and pews and everything, and I'm like, wow. You know, you pansies, <laughs> like, like you chicken shit fucks, you know? <laughs> yeah, these are the people that you serve coming to tell you that they're displeased and you can't even face them. Right, right. Or, you know, these are the people who, who tell other Americans to go to war. And, and yeah, it's like, you're oh, sending people to their deaths. Yeah, and, and you're you hiding behind yours? a fucking chair, you, you, you know, <laughs> you loser. <laughs> I, I, oh, man. Um. I don't know how we're ever going to get the get get it to to this point 
but at some point, like, we have just... I think it got to the point where people realized that TV wasn't reality. Maybe we never got to that point. I thought we were kind of getting there. But hopefully we get to the point someday that, like, no, the Internet does not reflect reality at all. In fact, there's nothing real that's going on there. Um, maybe we'll get to that. But anyway, speaking of fictional realities, you and I, let's not spend a ton of time on this. I know we got we got <laughs> things to do. <laughs> uh, but you and I went and saw Aquaman 2. What did you think of this movie? <laughs> Man, I mean, it wasn't as overstimulating as the first one, but it was still pretty overstimulating. Um, See, now, it's not saying if it's good or bad. You're saying stimulate, overstimulating. Right, so it's, it's a DC Comics-based movie. Yep, yep. Um, Jason Momoa doing his thing one more yep, time. Yep, and Amber but you're a fan of Momoa. Is that fair? <laughs> I know you're a major fan. Well, I'm a fan, yeah. yeah. I've watched Jason Momoa in other TV series, including Stargate. That's true. Woo, yes. Anyway, but I mean, you know, he's he's got a presence. He's good. Like he, I mean, he's enjoyable to watch. Yeah, he's funny. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He's got charisma. Right. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. Um, Yeah, I thought it was... Uh, an interesting movie. Lots of Atlantean magic. Um, I don't know that it was necessarily like a powerful movie. We were talking about it on the way home, and I mm-hmm. think what I uh, the term that I used to describe it was heavy-handed because uh, a lot of the messaging in this movie felt made it feel like a Disney movie in the sense that um, there there's just these forced lines where yeah. people say things that. Um, you know, draw them closer together as family and loved ones. Yeah. Um, and then the rest of the movie is just a bunch of nonsense. Um, but there, there are these moments where there is this heavy-handed messaging, like, just don't give up. Just keep trying. Single parents are the real heroes. Y- yeah. You know, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, something else that was really confusing about this movie, like... I don't know what kind of lifestyle they're trying to push, but Aquaman loves Guinness and he <laughs> eats potato chips, even and though burgers he's, and, yeah. yeah, super greasy burgers, even though he's massively jacked Jason Momoa, uh-huh. who doesn't look like he has an ounce of fat on his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, you know, and look, I, I'm not like trying to do any kind of like vegetarian or vegan preaching here. Um, but, you know, you're the king of Atlantis, right? And there's all these different species. In fact, there's even, like, giant crustaceans. Like, how, how do you stay a meat eater when, when you have talking crabs? Yeah, and you, <laughs> have to, you have to, like, work with a cephalopod to, yeah, right, right. to extract your brother from prison. Right, like, this octopus is, like, this amazing, you know, has saved your life multiple times. And then, what, you go and get sushi? Like, uh, or, you know, the sashimi plate? Which usually includes an octopus, uh, like I, it just, I mean, whatever. It's a comic book movie. It doesn't need to make sense. But yeah, it, 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 anyway, his lifestyle was very incongruous. Right, right. It just it it felt a little um, out of focus in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think this movie went through an ass ton of edits, re-edits. Like yeah, like there. I think there's whole storylines missing from this. Um, 
Yeah. There probably is. Because, again, they cut Amber Heard out of 90% of the movie. Yeah, for reasons that... Unless, whatever, for reasons, you know, that are out there when you, in the cultural zeitgeist. Um, yeah, because she publicly humiliated herself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. Which, by the way, is just weird to me because everybody still loves Johnny Depp. Like, when we went to see Hollywood Vampires, everybody was cheering for Johnny Depp. Oh, his heart. More yeah. than they were for Alice Cooper. yes. Yeah, which is insane. Or Joe Perry, for that matter. Greatest, right. One of the greatest guitarists of all time. Yeah. Um, anyway, please Yeah, very on. weird. Yeah, no. No, um, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll add a little color on this. Uh, Aquaman, the first movie, uh, which there had never been an Aquaman movie made before. There had been like a uh, an unaired TV pilot that had been done. He'd been on varying cartoons or whatever. Uh, speaking as a lifelong comic book fan, and particularly of DC, uh, you know, Aquaman, he's had his moments where, like, he'd be interesting for about six issues, but he's he's kind of a boring character. <laughs> like, he really does just talk to fish. Okay? He only becomes interesting when, yeah, he becomes, like, the king of this, you know, of, like, say, Atlantis, of this large kingdom and all this um, even then, he's not that interesting, and really, he's just DC's copy of Namor, the submariner. Um, Which, talking to fish would be really fascinating, but it doesn't make for a great action movie. Yeah, right, right. So, I mean, because, like, Marvel's version of this character, that being Namor, is actually really interesting. Um, and, like, he kind of steals Reed Richards' wife from the Fantastic Four and all this stuff. Like, there's actual, like, characterization and everything. Aquaman himself is not that great of a character, okay, um, in my opinion. And, but that first movie, wow. Like, <laughs> like I, in fact, I, I said it to you earlier, as Dragon Force is to music, Aquaman was to movies. Like, that movie is just so bombastic, it's so epic, it, it's like... Every Lord of the Rings movie in one, and somehow it works really well. It has all the stylings of Tron Legacy. It's a tremendous sound. That movie did billions. Like, that that was a huge film. A success on any level. You know, that, that, that first film. Um, and, and honestly, I like, when I heard they were making a sequel, I'm like, yeah, well, of course you're going to make a sequel, because the last movie did... It's one of the biggest movies in history. Um... But how do you top that? Where do you go? What do you do after that? And I don't think the directors or the writers knew an answer. You know? Like, the real answer would be you do a trilogy and you bring the character down in the second film. But because DC is rebooting everything, James Gunn took so, has taken over, and I don't think we're going to get an Aquaman 3. This is like the last movie of the Snyderverse, effectively. It's all very confusing on how they want to do this. Um, like, I don't think you could go there. Like, when we saw The Flash, a movie I enjoyed, um, at the end of it, there's an end credit scene where Flash is kind of dragging Aquaman around because he's so wasted, he's so drunk, and he like falls asleep in a puddle even, you know? And when I saw that, I was expecting an Aquaman 2, oh, he's going to have a drinking problem. And I still think there are scenes in this movie, in Aquaman 2, that point at that that was a, a storyline. Like where he's like falling asleep on the throne and is his crown even like falls over 
and he just gets up like, oh yeah, oh no, that's great, yeah, yeah, yeah you know. Um, like I, I think this was meant to be kind of a dark chapter for the character, and they totally threw that out, and they might have even completely re-edited, you know, the film. Um, but the problem with this movie ultimately for me is you, you can't top the first one. Like the first one was just the first one was an entire trilogy in itself. The first one was so massive. There's not, there's nowhere else you can go. There's nothing you can do unless again, you were tying it into a larger story or, you know, either a larger story for the character or you were tying it in and bringing in like what could have made this movie great is if they brought in other like members of the justice league, I mean, whether it's Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, I don't know, whoever, you know, that they wanted to bring in, that could have made this movie more interesting, but they weren't going to do that because, again, they're, they're killing this whole, this whole universe. Um, How did you feel about the global warming message? That was... I thought I was watching a movie from the 90s. Like, that... I mean, look, I, I consider myself, you know, like... Uh, I don't like to use the word environmentalist. Ecologist, maybe. Like, I am super concerned about, I'm, I mean, I'm, you know, into naturism. I mean, I'm super concerned about the environment, you know, uh, about the entire universe for that matter. And I thought that, I mean, it, it's like good to have it there, but they're basically using orichalcum as like akin to nuclear energy. Like, it just felt like messaging that was decades out of date. Um, because also that nuclear argument doesn't make any sense anymore. And even like diehard environmentalists admit now no we're wrong about nuclear it's actually a good thing um what do you got yeah i mean i think it it was more than that it was honestly more reminiscent of coal to me Ah, mm -hmm. than than it was nuclear because they were burning it to heat the atmosphere it wasn't like it was spreading radiation yeah okay that's fair that's fair yep and there were a lot of events happening that you know have been in major news recently. Yep. Like, yep. you know, huge forest fires that are out of control, yeah. flooding, earthquakes, all caused by rising ocean temperatures. Yeah. Um, you know, this is all stuff that is relevant right mm-hmm. now. More now than in the 90s, because obviously we've had 30 years for global warming to progress. So we're seeing more of the symptoms now. Sure. Yeah. But I think it, to your point, and you, you used this term earlier, even when we were talking earlier after seeing the film, it was heavy handed. It was way too heavy handed. It was too on the nose. It was too direct. Like, that's not good movie making, you know, to just like say it so outright, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I, I, I just it, it didn't it didn't feel right. Like, I think it's a good thing to get out there. Like, yeah, talk about that. But uh, they they went too hard. Like, I thought I was watching Captain Planet. Yeah, maybe. I mean, th- th- there was one line in the movie that I really liked, mm-hmm. and I felt like it was on the nose as far as what is happening. Um, but it was actually Aquaman's brother, after he rescues him from prison and tell- tells him about, like, the state of things. Um, and he says it's like they put a gun to the head of the world and pulled the trigger without even making any demands. Right. And I, I think that is kind of what... There's some truth to that when it comes to global warming. Like, mm. industries are are continuing pollutive practices, uh-huh. um, even despite knowing how damaging they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't make any demands. They're just continuing to do it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. It is a good line. I I, I hadn't thought about it that way though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, at the same time, like I don't I don't feel like there's any real resolution to that. Um, and yeah, because at the end, it's like Atlantean and um, surface dweller technology can combine right. with like the UN and Atlantis joined forces. We can solve global warming. Yeah, yeah, they're all like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm here to stand for global unity and all this, and it's like, oh stop, shut up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you can't. This is this is the one of the biggest problems with a lot of these efforts you know to try to save the world you know and, and and thwart climate change is there is a complete lack of understanding of regionalism there's a complete lack of understanding of localism what works in one place does not work in the other right this concept of global unity no like you know and basically what i'm saying is it's like oh yeah well we need to we need to switch to electric cars okay electric cars work great in three quarters of california Electric cars do not work well in other parts of the world. You know, like, no, it, you know, people up in, in like the Hudson Bay, you know, people up like in, in northern Canada. No, they need trucks. What, <laughs> like about, you, what about the alternative of that is like instead of saying we need to switch from internal combustion engines to electric. Mm -hmm. um, what about saying like uh, we don't know what the answer is right now, but let's immediately stop doing these damaging practices. So you're all going to have to live with some discomfort in your lives, and it's going to be a little bit harder sure. until we figure out a suitable alternative. Sure. But just stop doing this thing that is harmful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I right, right. I hear that. Yeah. Um, again, like... And that's going to force people to live in a more local environment, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because, like, if we didn't have a car, we'd have to scrounge for food within a 10 mile radius of where we're at right you know right. It, we're not going to be traveling 35 miles to whatever major city yeah yeah i i don't think like i i hear you like people will never go for it you know because again this gets to that lifestyle obsession you know like everybody thinks they they should be able to have a yacht and it's like no you live in fucking siberia you don't get a yacht you know <laughs> like I, again like people don't understand what's because they're so detached from their surrounding their immediate surroundings um they they have no understanding of what's actually best for them or they don't know to move or you know what whatever whatever the, the thing is they want to homogenize everything um yeah yeah you know one one size fits all solutions are are never going to work but that's all that ever gets proposed yeah it's like all right, if you want to live in a place that gets 120 during the summers, like, mm -hmm. you know, Houston, Texas, mm -hmm. for example, mm -hmm. um, how about instead of running your air conditioner all summer, uh. you just, like, build a house that actually cools itself. It yep. doesn't absorb all of the sunlight and heat coming right. in. Like, why does everybody live in the same house, basically? Right. Across the U.S., all of our houses are pretty standard yes but that doesn't work for no. every single climate you, like you know some people would be better off living in caves right some right. people would be better off living underground right some people would be better off living in tree houses right yeah no you're completely right but th this is the thing like okay everybody needs hot water yep gotcha 
Okay, so there are some universal needs perhaps in the modern day. Okay, so everybody needs hot water. Here's the thing. In Florida, you can just take a take a tank of water, you can set the tank of water on your on the roof of your house, paint the fucker black, that'll get you hot water. Yeah. Most of the year. You know, if not all of it, actually, it'll do a very good job of that. That doesn't work in New York. You know, and and, and so it's like, okay, but that that's my point. The solutions are different in based upon your locality, based upon your region. You know, your, uh, uh, yeah. Your, yeah, your like if you have geothermal vents nearby you, right. you're lucky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the earth just makes hot water. Yeah, yeah, sure. So so that that's the thing. But like, you, this is never, you know, whatever the UN says, I'm sorry, the UN, whatever the UN like recommends for how we're going to solve this, there, there are all these broad swath you know, like, okay, this is what everybody's going to do when everybody can't do the same thing, nor should they. Uh, it just, yeah, I, I hate that shit. You know, <laughs> like every time I hear global unity and all that, it, it just drives me up the wall. Um, or, you know, another thing that's that's being said in movies now isn't even like global peace. Now it's global stability. It's like, oh, <laughs> now I know what this is all about. Yeah, there's no agenda being pushed <laughs> No, there. no, no. Oh, man, fuck stability. But anyway, um, yeah, so I think this speaks to a larger problem getting back to the film, with the film. There's no real, like, speaking of agendas, there's no real agenda for the whatever the evil is in this movie, whatever the, the antagonist is. Like, it's just like a thing, and it has to get beaten. But there's no real, like, what's the motivation for the, what is it, Necris? Like, that, that was okay, the Okay, well, the his kingdom. is, you know, vengeance. Uh, no, I, the, uh, the, the brother, the Manta. Oh, Black Manta. Yeah. yeah Black okay. Manta. I get his. Yeah. yeah cause... He just wants to kill Aquaman because Aquaman killed his father. Right. But then he becomes possessed by this ancient king who's trapped in ice. And the ancient king just wants to come out and party with his hordes, you know? Uh, yeah. But like, yeah. But you know, what, what, g give me more. Like, what is this villain? I mean, this is, it's not a problem with this movie. It's a problem with Hollywood across the board lately is like we don't have motivations for the villains they're just an obstacle they're not really a person they're not a character which you know probably feeds into what we were talking about earlier where everybody's like no everything's just an npc you know and everything's like like everything exists for me and it's not like an actual objective other um yeah he's just some guy who will you know do anything to be freed of his ice prison yeah and but like why did you really get frozen? Like, what? Like, what was the argument between you and Atlan? Like, I, I don't... <laughs> like, just he, tell me. He was power crazy. That's that's all we get. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, it makes for, like, in the previous film, to its credit, okay, I understood what Ocean Master was about. He didn't want to lose his power. Like, I, like there, there's a character there. I understand it, you know, and both the villains in this, the evil, just didn't make any sense. Um, or it didn't have any, I didn't get the motivation. I didn't understand, like, why? Like, well, what's, what do you want Orc Helcom for? You know, like, what? It, anyway, um, so I guess to wrap it up, if, if we're, you know, I mean, did you like the music in this? I don't really remember the music. Yeah. I did not like the use of like '70s songs. There were a lot, a lot of '70s songs in it. They're good. They're great songs, but they were. I thought 
it felt out of place, overused. I didn't understand it. Um, as to where the last movie did a great job with it, like I said, a very Daft Punk style score. That's still mm-hmm. kind of here in this one, but it's mixed in with other shit, and I don't understand who that's for. Yeah, I because feel like kids don't just, listen to that. Either. That's kind of a common thing to to do now, though. Mm-hmm. And, and you say kids don't listen to that music. I think actually some kids do because they're millennial or older parents mm-hmm. bring them to these shows or play this oh, classic maybe. rock and roll maybe. and then the kids are like oh what's that that's kind of cool yeah um, so there are a few songs that kids do know that are classic rock mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and and i think that's really what it's about it's mm-hmm. like it's kind of novelty for the young generation maybe yeah i mean interesting point I feel like most of the people in the theater with us were old. Yeah, that's I mean, true. old, like 60s, you know, or older, um, which is weird. Like, I don't get that. Uh, I mean, maybe they've just been comic book fans forever like me, but I, I, I don't know. Um, but that was interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't know how this movie's doing in the box office. It's probably tanking, and it's probably because no one wants to invest in a universe that isn't going to exist anymore for one um the reviews i know are, most of them aren't that great and i can see why um it does feel like a pointless film like you made such a magical film with the first one i i, I understand why they did a sequel but at the same time i never would have done one like you, you're not gonna you can't top that um so um yeah, a lot of weird elements that don't get explanation in this movie. And I yeah. think that's what people need, you know, to really be invested. Yeah, yeah. Like, go ahead and do the world building. You got a lot more you can get into. I mean, you have this entire, like, underwater world. And then also there's, like, a jungle where these creatures have been mutated by the burning orichalcum. Yeah. We don't know how or yeah. why, but, no, like, they're there's... They're huge. Yeah, every, <laughs> everything is giant. The grasshoppers, yeah. the mice, the cockroaches, like, it's all huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to come out and say it. Uh, I, I'd be generous giving this movie a six. Um, you know, I mean, there's points where I laughed during it. Mm-hmm, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I can say that much. Maybe that's keeping me from giving it a five, but... There's almost no point to watching this movie. Like I, I don't walk. I don't really walk away with much of anything. Um, yeah, me neither. Yeah, and that's sad because I really loved the DCEU. Like I really, really digged everything Zack Snyder was doing. I've really enjoyed this saga. And and Jason Momoa seemed like he had fun. Yeah, he movie. loves. He, he clearly he loves doing. It. I mean, and 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 there's even movies that Aquaman are in that you you haven't even watched yet you know, that I'd love to watch with you. Um, and he's great in it, you know, and, and that, that's a pity too. It's like, fuck man, he actually did a good job. I mean, he's not entirely believable for some reasons you mentioned earlier and some others, but he's, he's done a great job and yeah, it, it's a shame. What do you give it? What do you got? Out of ten. Probably the same as you. Probably six. Yeah. yeah. I don't see myself ever watching this movie again. No, no, not unless there's like an alternate cut of some kind. Um, Even then, I don't think I would care enough. Yeah, yeah. Like, just show me the deleted scenes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another quick bonus: they did let Nicole Kidman at least be old. That was nice. 
<laughs> sort of. Sort of, yeah. I mean, she still looks like she's had some work done, but yeah. she had a few old woman kind of looking things on her face. She maybe. had moments, yeah, where it's like, oh yeah, no, she's old. Um, and I don't say that disparagingly. I'm just saying, like, it, I dig it when they'll let old women, like, kick ass in a, in a film, you know? Um, or not kick ass, but, like, at least exist and recognize that they exist. You know, that this has been a problem in, in, in comic book movies particularly, is that, like, an actress who's been playing a role for, say, five, six years or something, suddenly she hits 35, and, oh, no, we have to recast. Sorry. And it's like, why? You, you know, what, because she has some wrinkles? <laughs> what a shame, you know? Yeah, and she's playing against Dolph Lundgren, who yep. obviously is old. Very old. Like, yeah, you can yeah. see it on his face. Yeah. But he was fun, you know? Yeah. It's Dolph. Um, anyway, okay, yeah, so six out of ten. Yeah, this is just, there's no point to watching this. That, that That's really how I walk away from it. Um, it was it, entertaining in some ways. Yeah. But, yeah, there wasn't really anything inspiring about this movie. No, no, and it, and it, it ultimately doesn't add to, like, this world of Atlantis that was so well built and fleshed out in the first movie. Uh, it's very yeah, disappointing. There's barely any time in Atlantis to begin yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. I wondered about Like, I thought that was strange because that's what made the first movie so cool. It was like the action just didn't fucking stop in, in this amazing, you know, neon world. Um, yeah. All right. You want to wrap this one up? Yeah, I think I think we about covered everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. We missed out on talking about the Jedi, but I think that deserves its own show. We'll talk about that next time. I want yeah. you there. I want you to like kind of, you know, not. I mean, you're in. You know, I, I've I've forced you into Star Wars. <laughs> you did. It's funny. I was kind of talking about this with one of our mutual friends yesterday. Uh huh. Um, yeah, I was never really a Star Wars fan. I just ended up learning a lot about it because you love it so much and you wanted to share it with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. But I want you there for that because you have that different perspective, and and you also ask great questions. So <laughs> I try. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean you always deliver the, just the most tremendous insights. So anyway, if you want more of those insights, Sovereign Tech X will be back. And uh, Ellen, of course, always great having you on. Thanks for having me. And uh, don't forget fundraiser.sovereigntech.com if you want to help with the next or a part of the evolution of everything we've been doing here for over a decade. Uh, really exciting stuff to come. So fundraiser.sovereigntech.com and we will see all of you woo, on the other side. Woo! Testing, testing, one, two, three. Captain is the sweetest cat and he's crawling all over your electronics. Boy, he is everywhere right now. That little catch. <laughs>